rejuvenate yourself and have a greater focus. But then there are people that um, do this in, in different ways. Yes. And, and some people, yeah, okay, let me start. What is your thinking about Deepak Chopra? I think he's a great uh, leader, spiritual leader. And uh, I've not kind of, I've, I've read about it a bit, but not very much. Mm. I started reading about him uh, very, I think, 10 years ago. He spoke about the shadow and the warriors of light. Mm. And... Uh, and I am into meditation. My introduction to meditation happened through my school. So yeah. one day, all of us, we were kind of called. And, and there was and a you've master. been meditating for a long time, right? Uh, uh, since I was 10 or 12 years old, yeah, something like that. That's a long time. So Not saying you're old, but I mean, <laughs> from 10 yes, years old is a long quite, time. Yeah, a long time ago. So we, we, we didn't know what it was. So we, just, we, we were called one by one into a room. And then there was a master who kind of asked a few questions. And then he said, gave us like a small mantra. Mm. And he said, just chant it. And every day after the class, uh, uh, at the end of the school hours, we were like spend like 30 minutes just chanting. Mm. Uh, that time it was mostly like sleeping or... And when you say chanting, just so people understand, you know, what, what do you mean with chanting? Chanting is that repeating uh, that sound mm. or a word or a thought or an affirmation over and over and over again. Do you again. have a favorite word or sound that you use? Uh, I can't I can disclose it actually. <laughs> ah, okay. That's so, good. You shouldn't do that, right? Yes, yeah. you're not supposed to. If, yeah. if you've got it from a, some a spiritual guru, then you're, not, then you're not supposed to disclose it because yeah. then the power of that mantra kind of dissipates. Yes. But people do it, like for example, Om is a very kind of a yeah. common, one, yeah. common uh, sound that you can, but it, you have different, every, what, what you can do is like look at the word and look at what the vibration means. Mm -hmm. So there are different words which have different vibrations and then you, ultimately it's a personal choice, I believe, whatever works for you. Mm -hmm. I, nowadays I prefer to kind of focus on my breathing and then mm. get a deep relaxation like this and then stay. You have some special breathing technique that you make use of? Uh, box breathing. So you start with the box breathing. It's uh, so you kind of breathe six in and then you mm. hold six and then you exhale like eight and then you kind of uh, mm. keep like Maybe that for six seconds and eight seconds. Yeah. Uh, six, yeah, it could be six seconds or it could be like six breaths if you take constantly. Mm. So you have that, but you have to exhale longer than you inhale yeah. and then you have to stay without air for something like three or four seconds. So you have six, six, and then eight and four. Mm. And then you repeat it like three times, four times, as much as it suits. And then when you let go, mm. then the natural flow of your breath starts. And that's mm. that's when you observe. You don't need to put effort in breathing. Mm. The, breath, the breath just comes in and goes. Do you, use, do you breathe in or out through the nose or the mouth? Or do you have a special... The, uh, once you let go, it just, I, it just let the body decide. Mm. Sometimes if you're... If you're too overworked and your blood oxygen uh, oxygen level in your blood is low, then you probably breathe through nose and mouth. But eventually, after some time, you will feel that the breath has become very still, mm. and you are you can't actually hear your breath. Mm. You yeah. cannot feel your breath. It becomes very subtle. You don't kind of feel it anywhere, but you can feel it. Kind of you feel that, that but you start feeling the energy. You start feeling that the sensation uh, going in and out. And once you focus, start focusing on that, and then you just zone everything out then you feel relaxation and then you feel more connection and yeah i mean it's cool I, I haven't done meditation for as long as you have just a few years but um I, I try to you know breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth and i think that works rather well for for me but i still have to focus a lot on the breathing and and the way i think the state that you come into where you don't even think about that is something i haven't been able to reach yet at least um, but yeah, so it sounds, sounds interesting, but just speaking about Deepak Chopra a bit, uh, I probably have a bit of a subjective, um, understanding of him because I, I think I only heard the bad part of mm -hmm. it. 
So I've heard something. What was he saying? I think he said, you know, he, he can do quantum healing. So he tries to connect quantum mechanics with healing, even like, and I'm probably wrong when saying it, but at least that's the hearsay I've been hearing mm. that he says that, you know, the quantum healing that he proposed can heal even cancer. And yeah. to me, that's a very dangerous thing to say and even illegal in some way. Uh, have you heard about this? I have heard about quantum healing. I mean, there are different, uh, there are many different such modalities. Yeah good bad and i try not to get into that mm. but greg braden i'm not sure if you heard of him he's a, he's a physicist what greg braden no, uh, he had a he had a presentation where he actually showed live uh, yeah. the one of the cancer being dis getting dissolved he, he actually pictured it uh, By meditation, no no so they were so the, the story is like they went to a himalayan a himalayan cave yeah. where a lady had a cancer yeah. It was last stage and uh, uh, she goes to a, and they were kind of recording, not the process, but they were, uh, they, they were kind of recording the sound and also the ultrasound mm. of the, of the tumor. And they started gathered around and they started chanting mm. and real time in that you can see that tumor kind of dissolving and then disappearing completely. You know, this is almost <laughs> making me a bit angry actually, because uh, <laughs> if, if that was true, you yeah. know, and there were scientific evidence of this, you know, I'm a scientist, so I, I really do require, you know, proper evidence for, for anything to be true. And if something like that were, was possible, you know, why wouldn't more people do it? Why wouldn't that be the standard when you go to hospital, for example? Yeah, that, that's the reason why I try to stay away from <laughs> these yeah, things. Yeah. And focus, I mean, if this is enough, I believe everybody is trying their best mm. to do what what they're doing. Mm. And if everybody just focuses on what they are doing best, mm. I think that's that's good enough. Don't need to go into all those things because once it's, it's like a slippery slope. Once you get into this, there is no stopping. Mm. So I try to go, I, I mean, I, I try not to go and I try to stay on what works for me. Yeah, yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good thing. Cool. I think we can speak for a long time about meditation <laughs> and perhaps we get back to that yeah. in the end, you know, we're yeah. going a bit more philosophical in, in our discussions. But uh, let uh, let me first say, you know, welcome here. It's a pleasure to have you here, Somi. It's a very Gupta. It's a pleasure yeah. to have to, to be here. Thank yeah, you. yeah. Um, we met a bit before, and, and this is, of course, great to have you here and discuss you. But for people that don't know you, how would you describe yourself? Okay, so um, my name is Somil Gupta. I'm originally from India, and uh, my background is I was trained as an electronics and instrumentation engineer, so uh, working with the sensors and actuators and uh, control systems, process control. Mm -hmm. That's my, my that's my background, and in the college I got interested in robotics, and then one thing led to another, and I ended up uh, taking up a course in image processing. And then ended up uh, majoring in uh, image in computer vision and uh, artificial neural networks at the time. Yeah. And what year was this? Uh, this was around two thousand eight. So, but it uh, that time there was not not, not much happening, not mm. that I was aware of. And I remember I because I used to do my code in MATLAB and then mm. actually had to manually run the iterations and do the back propagation and calculation and everything and then code that into C and then flash this into robot. It was not a very joyous process. Mm. Uh, but we did. It still isn't today, I would say. Yes, but it's, it's a bit better than that, but not <laughs> so much. What we could, what 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 achieve uh, in one year was uh, so basically, I I asked all my classmates to come and kind of give samples. What mm. we could achieve was that we could 
if you point if you make a gesture in front of camera the robot would do something it would mm. go forward or go back but mm. that's that, that's about it it was very difficult to get data at that time so it's some kind of image classification image classification camera, image then, detection so yeah. we were kind of sampling the the image kind of uh, transforming it and mm. then uh, trying to recognize what a gesture is using mm. moments different types of moments mm. and then making a decision what gesture it, uh, what gesture it could be mm. and then what the uh, robot should do And 2008. I mean, that's way before even AlexNet and these kind of uh, normal convolutional neural networks and whatnot. So, okay. so what kind of neural networks did you We use? We use simple perceptron networks. Yeah. I think four or five, uh, three or four hidden layers. Because beyond that, the computer would crash. <laughs> uh, but very simple kind of neural networks. Mm. And uh, focus was more on the feature engineering. At that time, we didn't have so much to my tools. Mm. So. just taking the moments just taking simple features because uh the color tones and everything has to be adjusted uh, it was a very simple model but it did something it right. did something and we were, we were very happy okay it, it does something yeah i'm super uh, cool. <laughs> but then that kind of uh, stopped there and uh, i actually joined bosch uh, as an automotive engineer i was look i was working with the control uh, cruise control team mm. So trying uh, building the control system. Please, for people who don't know Bosch, how would you describe the company? What do they do? It's an automotive uh, uh, engineering company. They make, uh, I mean, most of the components that you have in a car. Uh, for example, you have engine control systems, you have battery management systems. Most of those control systems that you have in your cars, mm. the ECUs that you have in your cars, are built by Bosch. Along with different components, so you have wipers, wiper blades. It's a big company. It's well. a big company. It's yes. around eighty eighty five billion euro company. Yeah. And uh, so my, my my role was was quite simple. So you have cruise control in your in your vehicle, and I used to kind of program that for different customers. Three years on, I realized that I'm not as much interested in technical as I am in talking to people or into the business part. Mm. So I decided to get a master's in industrial management. Uh, but then I focused more on the product management and business and the sales and marketing aspects. And I joined Bosch again. Uh, As a business development manager, mm. but this time I also I, I also joined part of their leadership management uh, leadership uh, development uh, program, mm. and uh, so I kind of joined. Uh, I was supporting sales from a strategy point of view, and that was kind of good because it got me the first few assignments. Uh, was I mean the, I think the second assignment was uh, about taking analytics to market. The analytics, right. big data analytics mm-hmm. market, mm-hmm. and the third, very I think two thousand fourteen. Can you just pack that, unpack that a bit more? Yeah. Analytics to market. What, what do you really mean with that? So basically, we uh, the, we uh, Bosch had built a team of yeah. uh, data scientists uh, and statisticians, yeah. and we had a few PhDs, and they were very good at uh, you know taking the manufacturing data, or for example, any kind of domain data, and then build. Analytical insights from that. For so we had, for example, use cases that go into, for example, warranty management systems. Mm. So how can you predict uh, warranty costs? Mm. Uh, how could you detect? Uh, how could you predict uh, quality uh, issues in your plant by looking at different? How could you reduce test times when you are uh, doing testing of, of your components? So analytics in that case was more on the process of the manufacturing. Process of the manufacturing. Yeah. So basically, on the engineering data, or on the service data, on the test data, quality data. Mm-hmm. And then we try to run and find insights, more, more, uh, more uh, descriptive analytics. Yeah. So this was part of the gold rush where you wanted to find those golden nuggets somewhere hidden, yeah. and try to see if you can do something with that. Yeah. So that uh, went on for some time, and uh, then I got into IoT mm-hmm. because uh, IoT kind of came naturally to me because of sensors, and I had that background. So I thought, well, internet, 
sensors what could go wrong exactly and the next uh, three years uh, actually spent uh, working with customers building solutions i spent a lot of time in plants in warehouses in retail stores trying to understand the process and to understand the problems and mm-hmm. then trying to build the solutions and can you just for yeah give some example perhaps of an iot device that you have worked a lot with yeah um for example you can take uh, the tracking and traceability is one option so you have those mm-hmm. big pallets that need to yeah. be uh, that get shipped from one place to another yeah. and you need to identify like give me example let's say if you have arla here and uh, they produce milk mm-hmm. and the milk has to be stored in a certain temperature yeah. if it doesn't if it's not stored uh, at a certain temperature then the grading of the milk or the quality of the milk goes down Mm-hmm. and you need a way to un- to ensure that they are stored at a certain temperature and if they are not stored at a certain temperature then the grading has to go down so we so bosch had a sensor uh, which is called it was called transport data logger i guess so Once again, transport data logger okay mm-hmm. it was a small bluetooth based sensor you kind of put it onto a valo- into the pallet mm-hmm. and it would uh, measure the vibration it would measure temperature humidity and was it like a passive device so or was it like rfid kind of thing uh, was it was it a bluetooth uh, enabled okay. and so the, the the data communication was bluetooth enabled but uh, it's like you switch it on mm-hmm. put it at the end of the journey you connect with it and then get all the data okay so it will tell you how many t- how many hours because what happens what we realized was a lot of times in india uh, these reefer companies mm. they switch off the ac mm. or right. or the cooling to save cost yeah. and uh, nobody knows mm. so this could be one example yeah. so there were multiple examples where you want to want to put sensors and want to get data mm. and then do something about that or monitor that or validate something mm. so that something Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, that's really good. Cool. So I think you know IoT is, is of course very interesting, and um, you, you can do it in so many different ways. For one, to collect data, as, as yeah. we say, but also you know, moving computation to the edge in, in yes. some ways, which uh, we perhaps can move uh, or talk more about later. Yep. But cool. So you work with uh, IoT at Bosch in different ways. Yep. Right. And um, uh, some part towards 2016, 17, uh, I realized that. Uh, when you look at the scale of iot when you have like 10000 mm. devices selling you data uh, we incidentally did a concept for smartport uh, with one of one of our partners mm. and we realized that if you actually put sensors in all the systems mm. and we build a like command and control center we need around 500 people just to monitor really? all the systems and then it felt like okay this doesn't make sense yeah. so there has to be something and that time we i mean i was not aware of what we know as today as stream analytics mm. so that didn't make sense with having dashboards and stuff like that so i kind of got a feeling that there um, we're missing something here and uh, then the analytics is then more important the intelligence is more important than iot and the iot my kind of uh, uh my hypothesis at the time was that iot will eventually become a infrastructure topic mm. or an r and d topic where you embed sensors but the more and more value creation mm. will happen at the intelligent level or right. at the analytics level and that's something i think something that that we're seeing now so you need more than data you need the algorithms you need the algorithms you yes. need the algorithms because otherwise you cannot manage so many devices you can't make sense out of it so mm. situational awareness where we were talking about situational awareness for we had some systems which could detect fire mm. but just detecting fire with a camera was not enough you also need to fuse that data with uh, let's say a smoke detector you also mm. need to fuse that data with uh, let's say a temperature sensor from building mm. so you need more than data yeah. uh, to make sense of what's happening and then, and, and and then to react uh, to what was happening 
I'm untrue. We've been saying so many times in this podcast, you know, we, we want to use data and AI. And, and one of the things that AI is really good at is trying to work with a large amount of data. Yeah. And that's something that humans are really bad at. <laughs> um, yes. And then, yeah, I think you, you phrase it so uh, eloquently there saying, you know, you have 10K devices, but you need 500 people to monitor them, which obviously is not very efficient. It's um, not very efficient. Yeah. It kind of defeats the purpose. Yeah. Then, because then you have 500 people, then you need 550 people to monitor those 500 people. And then you, <laughs> it never stops. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, so and and then you continued for quite some time at uh, Bosch as at well. At Bosch, right? yes, I was uh, with uh, uh, I was partner manager. So in between, I also uh, went from business development to alliance management, mm -hmm. and I I, I was with uh, Bosch Software Innovations. So that time, uh, Bosch was releasing their uh, Bosch IoT suite. Uh, 2.0. The 1.0 was still kind of more uh, on-prem mm -hmm. and we still had like M2M module. I'm not sure if you know M2M. It's like, mm -hmm. it's the ancestor of IoT. So machine-to-machine -machine communication. Ah, yeah, yeah. Proprietary messages. It was very rarely, it was IP-based. It was mm -hmm. most of the time proprietary uh, yeah. messaging communication. OSGI mm -hmm. was the framework and there were a couple of things happening. But that, and that was time when all these companies had grouped together into different M2M uh, platforms. So Samsung had one and Intel had one and everybody was trying to join up. And then you had a platform, then you had interoperability built platform and mm -hmm. it was a mess. So that like time. a bit of like <laughs> semantic web, if you remember that from uh, the beginning of yes. 2000, but uh, yes. machine readable, but in reality it didn't work. Yeah. So that happened. And then uh, kind of, I was there in Germany for some time. Then I got an opportunity to uh, come to Sweden and mm -hmm. lead the... Uh, this was in what year? This was in 17. 17. Uh, to lead the uh, business development and sales for the digital solution. So data, AI, blockchain, IoT mm -hmm. uh, in the Nordic region. And I worked with still Bosch. for Bosch then, yeah. Yeah, still for mm -hmm. Bosch. And then I did that for like uh, around nine in till 2019 and since then uh, so interestingly what was what I was doing as a part of uh, because IOT was an unproven technology I was building business cases for my clients so that they could get budget mm -hmm. and they could prove value to their management and I could I was and I also needed it to do my own pricing because it was a new technology and we didn't know exactly how much it's going to cost mm -hmm. so that business case development that uh, value definition and I was kind of quantifying the value because Unlike data and AI, in IoT, you cannot go off more than like 5, 10%. It will kill your business case because you're talking about physical devices here. Yeah. And they are very expensive and the margin is like 7, 8%, 10% max. Uh, one time we had a business model where uh, we didn't, we forgot to take into account the shrinkage. So things, assets were getting stolen. Oh, yeah. And we, we we didn't do that, and we did not put that clause into the service contract that the assets in your premise is like your responsibility. Mm. Uh, customer said, "I'm I'm not going to pay for it." Mm. That kind of uh, the whole more business model collapsed because of that, yeah, because we could not prevent uh, the shrinkage. So that uh, I think that formed the basis of monetization. Uh, I thought, and one of the clients said, "You know, why don't you just do this for us?" Mm. Because um, we right now we don't have anyone who's doing this, and this is quite good because. Mm. The value, def the value hypothesis that I created, it was making sense for them. Mm. Because I would not say and say, hey, take the solution, it will do this, this, this. I'll say, hey, listen, right now your process or your cost is like this. If you implement this solution, then it's going to become like this. So this is your net benefit. Mm. And if you accrue this over so many years and this is the investment, you're going to get your ROI in like three years, four years, or mm. one and a half years, two years. So monetization, monetization is actually one of your expertise areas. So I yes. think we will talk a, a lot more about yeah. that. But before we move into that, you, you started speaking about blockchain as well. And yes. It's um, a love and hate kind of children of mine, you know, speaking about blockchain yeah. and um, <laughs> uh, as so many other topics, <laughs> but still, okay. Can, can you just elaborate a bit more? What did Bosch use blockchains for at that time? Um, so uh, block, 
I mean, different applications. Uh, for example, uh, you could use it to register some things. Let's say you want to do, uh, you want to, you want to uh, monitor the ownership mm-hmm. of a vehicle or a change in ownership of the vehicle. Uh, one good, uh, for example, use case could be the taxation because uh, different companies, uh, different countries have different tax tax laws when it comes to the origin of based on the origin of the of the vehicle and based on where the origin of the part mm. and where the vehicle was uh, when it broke down. So in, even within EU, you have like different uh, mm. uh, rules and regulations enforcing that. Uh, simple use case: uh, the if you go back to the previous example of IoT of the milk. So we could put that data on the blockchain and have a smart contract. So if the quality is as per grade A, then you get paid so much. If it goes to B, then you pay, get paid so much. And, and just to clarify, now what is the added value of having a blockchain compared to simply storing it in a database? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. It's uh, usually we need blockchain when the parties don't trust each other. For example, mm. if you have a mining environment or if, if you're on, on an oil rig, in oil rig you have thousands of vendors who are working together and uh, the output of one is consumed by is input for other and you have situations where they they don't really have a consensus so that's where you cannot have i mean uh, i can give you one example for example a mining customer so their problem is that they want their contract performance contract with each of their vendors is to have at 95% but the efficiency that the mine gets is somewhere around 70% Now they don't know why it is happening. Who is actually causing these problems? The problem is they cannot share one person's data with the with the other person. So you cannot have give access oh. to. I mean, share. I mean, you could, but then the trust uh, becomes uh, an issue. So those kind of trust are trustless uh, situations is what I see. But it's kind of paradoxical, I, I believe, because um, the, if if the only way you want to uh, use blockchain is to remove a central party. But then you still need a central party to invest in the blockchain infrastructure, mm. and then then that becomes paradoxical. Yeah, and, and that's a classical argument. You know, you want to use blockchains to remove the middleman, so to speak, the banks or whatnot, and and that's a really good argument, I think, of course. Yeah. But then, in, in your case, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounded like you have your own blockchain network that you have between a few set of parties. Uh, Bosch, it was, I mean, uh, that was a, like uh, we're building solutions on technology. I think Hyperledger or okay. those kind of open source uh, technology or some uh, technology. Mm-hmm. But but who was participating in that blockchain network that you were using at that time? Was it just Bosch itself, or was it actually also we the customers? Building, we are building solutions for the customers, and usually it was the customers and their partners who are using the blockchain solution. Mm-hmm. So we are building the solution. For example, if a dairy company, if you build mm-hmm. it for a dairy company, then all the farmers mm-hmm. who have cattle can then register to it, mm-hmm. and then you can have the proof of ownership or change in ownership can be detected in the blockchain as a as a ledger. Mm. Otherwise, it's very sometimes it, it becomes difficult to identify the actual. If you actually go want to go trace it back mm. uh, into uh, what really happened. Mm. So yes, I mean you can have an argument that you can go f- do that pretty maybe today very efficiently with maybe the database a, is owned a, a, by a Kafka you know, log or something them, like that. You know, yeah. Right, but I think that time those concepts were not there. Mm. So mm. today I, I'll, I'll say probably maybe uh, having a log like a. Would make more immutable log is, is makes more sense than doing all all that, all that work. But then, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, blockchain is such an interesting topic. I yes. think. So I think I'll add that to the list and, and let's dig a bit deeper into that. And you know, Facebook, Libra, and, and whatnot. And yep. uh, yeah, so many things and NFTs and all these kind of things. I am no longer into blockchain right now, so I ah, just okay. kind of stopped. <laughs> okay, ah, perhaps we shouldn't yeah. focus on that. But it's still a very popular, interesting topic. Even though I, I personally have a, like a love and hate relationship to it, cool. Uh, but then you moved more into monetization and business development, right? Yeah. 
And and how would you describe the 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 rest of your journey, so to speak? So the rest of the journey has been good. Uh, initially, when I was talking about monetization, there was kind of people were confused and uh, uh, not very sure what I was talking about. Um, incidentally, I mean the monetization. Uh, I'm not sure if you know, if you have heard the term infonomics. No. So ten years ago, a gentleman called Daglini. uh that time he was with with gartner uh mm-hmm. coined this term infonomics which was the economic value of information and then mm-hmm. his argument is that uh why is information not classified as an asset mm-hmm. for by an organization if right. they have so if it derives so much value from it and he says okay the information has all the attributes uh of uh, uh of an asset it has uh, a you can create an income out of it you can uh, uh, you can store it you can you can change ownership so you have it has all the, but why 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 is it not done mm-hmm. so the idea kind of stays has has stayed uh, uh, for a long time but somehow i don't know why it has not i did not pick pick up mm-hmm. for some reason uh gartner published a few papers and but it it kind of never i think the reason for is, is well, the reason for this is uh amortization uh, is very much linked to the ownership and accountability at the business and i feel that businesses business leaders have so far trying to kind of delegate this responsibility to the data teams mm. and uh, so you have the data and you uh, you know do something with it mm. and i know that because i've experienced that when i used to go and say okay uh the question was like okay what can you do for us the question that 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 didn't make sense because if you are supposed to give me a requirement you should know what you want mm. but that was not the case very few companies were able to kind of articulate in a very simple way what is it that they're trying to do mm. and that uh, doesn't happen so monetization uh, because what happens is when you are when if you're a business leader and if i ask you to own something mm. that's a data that's an initiative the first thing you're going to ask you know any any business leader worth his or her salt will say what's in it for me what does it cost what what i'm going to get end of it what's the roi that's mm-hmm. the first and fundamental question that you yeah. ask if you want to own something right and if you're not asking that question then the only kind of uh, thing that i derive from it is that you do not want to own it so i think monetization in my opinion is very much linked to that how much engaged you are with that and do you really see that as mm-hmm. value creating for yourself or do you really see that as something that you feel you have an option or a choice Mm-hmm. to use or not uh, yeah and, and and this is as i said in you know, a topic in itself and um, let's move there very shortly um but today you're working with a number of interesting things right mm. so w- what do you do now after bosch as well after bosch i help uh, i work with different companies uh, mm-hmm. help them monetize their data and ai investment a lot of times companies have been um investing in a uh, initiative for very long time mm. but they still don't have a very not, not everybody in the organization has a clear understanding of what they are building or why they are doing it mm. so you need a framework to where everybody could agree to mm. and uh, my firm belief is that i mean data and ai is like any other product development you need the entire organization together right. if you want to really do something with it right mm. but if your sales and marketing is is disengaged if your legal uh, commercial is disengaged if your finance is disengaged you can't do that mm. so large part of the work that we do uh, that i do right now is trying to define that concept uh, try try to define that uh, that the the whole business uh, model mm. and then get everybody to agree to it and when everybody yes. agrees to it when when they, everybody knows that we're talking about the same thing mm. that's when people start seeing value of working together and uh, i mean i think one of the 
good thing happened was that very early in the definition of the product, we were able to secure sales ownership. Mm-hmm. So sales guys said, okay, this makes sense. We said, okay, this is what what we are going to build. Are you willing to sell this thing? And sales guy said, yes, uh, I mean, this is very exciting. I'm very interested. And immediately they got three customers and they say, hey, why don't you present this to them? And then, okay, why don't you validate this with them? Mm. So f- that was something is, is very interesting because you get people engaged, you get people excited. You know, you're no longer trying to push your own product or your own, own initiative. It becomes their initiative. Right. Marketing is more interested. This purchase is interested. That mm. is, I think, bringing people together. Yeah, and the ownership question is certainly very important, as you're saying. Um, cool. And I know you have, if we move over a bit to monetization mm-hmm. and, um, and you are an expert in that, in that, of course, and advise other companies and, and do so many things and speak about that and public speaker about this thing, these things. And, and for people still, you have spoken a bit about it already, but if you just try to describe, you know, what is really monetization to yeah. you? Okay. How, how would you describe it? I, okay. I, I define it, uh, as, uh, so monetization enables uh realization of economic value of mm-hmm. data and ai assets yeah. by unlocking their embedded knowledge and insight and utilizing it for mm-hmm. better decisions better strategies that leads to better financial performance mm-hmm. that's how i define it yeah and mm-hmm. uh, there are like four keywords uh, there's basically a reason uh, for defining it like this way because there are four keywords that that are important the first part is financial performance right. we want to bring this down to financial performance because if you see the, if you look at the theory of firms the based on the finan- based on the finance definition of value the role of a business is to maximize the shareholder value right right to maximize the return on equity return on, on investment yeah So whether you like it or not, every business leader in the organization is responsible for that at the end of the day. So it's very important to define that monetization or define any initiative from that point of view. The second is the realized value. Because Mm -hmm. uh, there are, if you look at the value cycle, we have value discovery, value creation, delivery and and realization. Take that again, because that's the number of cycles that you mentioned that I think is interesting to to talk about. So So you had discovery. Value discovery. So you define, understand what value is. You yeah. talk to your customers, you understand, you look at the market, you do your surveys and you understand what value is for the customer. That, yeah. That's the discovery. So it's a discovery process that yeah. you do first. The yes. creation is then you build something, you build yeah. a product, yeah. you build a solution, right? You build something that will fulfill that need mm-hmm. in the market. Yeah. Then you have the value delivery in which you ship that product and take it to where your customers can consume it. Mm-hmm. And then you have a realization, which is finally converting that back into cash because you started with cash. It actually matches my T-shirt today. It okay. says, um, commit, deploy, scale, scale and repeat, and repeat <laughs> I think. It's, yeah. it's not the exact same four cycles, but... Um, it's similar. It's, it's a bit about... You know, it's similar. You should build something, commit it, you should deploy it, you should, you know, uh, find the value and, and then cycle it. Cycle it. And uh, most of the development that we, that I, at least I see, is focused on the discovery and creation part. Mm. And very little on the realization and delivery part. Uh, so right. basically, let's say if you have R&D and manufacturing, they're creating value, converting cash to inventory. And then you have sales and distribution, we're converting inventory back to cash at a higher rate, hopefully. Mm. And then you can have better financial performance. You need to have a similar equation mm. for the NDI products. So if you do not have realized value, if you're not t- talking about realized value. And another thing is that my hypothesis is uh, if realized value is less than created value, mm then it results into under underutilization of a product or a service. Right. And what happens when you have underutilization is that you have low return on effort. That means 
your team will most likely be demotivated because they cannot see all this all that they have built into action mm. you have a lower roi mm. uh, so that means you're not getting enough returns mm. you are maintaining and operating much more than what the customer is is willing to pay for Mm-hmm. and what happens this third is that it also subsequently your mm-hmm. other investment because most of your funds or your cash is now stuck in this technological inventory mm-hmm. and it's not available for other high value initiatives do you have a potential example that we could just you know try to go through these four cycles with you know discovery phase or creation phase phase and so forth um, we can take any product for example let's say we want to have uh, i was talking about the, uh, this equipment as a service Which one? Equipment, I, equipment, something as a service. Yeah. The discovery would be to understand why would you like to, why would customer, uh, why would your customer would like to rent this from you rather than buy this let's, from you? Let me help you. Let's take yeah. something a friend of mine is doing, which yeah. is uh, working with Volvo and they building cars that is not supposed to be sold as products, mm. but rather as a service. Yep. So it's it's I think similar to what it says it's yep. equipment in this case a car yep. you want to use it for something a service which is transportation yep. you know moving from point A to B yeah and then it should have some kind of value and it should be some kind of realized value yes. hopefully in the end yes. and, and I don't think it's proven there yet but if we take that you know specific example they're trying to now they had some kind of discovery and they they realized you know the whole idea of you know owning cars is perhaps not really uh, very sustainable mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, we can change the business model completely. Yes. Say, you know, just as you don't own music anymore, just as you don't own movies anymore, just as you don't, you know, you rent Uber these days. Perhaps you can do the same with cars. And then they try to have a service, transportation yeah. service, instead of you know building products as cars as you own. So, okay, given that, that that could potentially be a discovery process that right? could be a discovery so why do you think you basically who you think in the entire population of sweden mm. who would probably would like to go for such a service mm. you could have people who are kind of here for a short time you have might have people who are for example companies who want to uh, this uh, offer this as a service to their employees yeah. uh, you could have maybe hotels or other in- installations so basically who would be interested in this kind of service and why mm. why renting will make more sense to them compared to owning Right. So that's kind of the discovery process, and you understand why exactly. Uh, how much are they gonna gain if they are able to uh, if if they rent instead of of owning? So mm-hmm. you have some common kind of argument saying, okay, well, you don't have to service anymore. We will take care of your service. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for me, the, the the biggest use case would be that I don't know a lot about how things are done here in Sweden. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, I would really love to kind of have someone maintain the car for me. You know, changing the winter tires, summer tires, all doing all that stuff because yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Or someone who says, "Okay, I don't drive all the time, but I just drive it in summer, and it'll be good if I could just have it rented for like three, four months max because I don't drive uh, any." So that is the discovery part, and you have need to have a very, re- very specific, very strong reason why your customer would like to have that, mm-hmm. and why would they prefer this compared to uh, buying the car, buying your car, buying some other car, taking Uber. So what are the alternatives for them? What's right. the next best alternative for your customer if they don't want to rent mm. and if they, if they don't, don't want to buy? So that's kind of a discovery service. So you identify some kind of problem that exists today? Problem and then and quantify um, its impact. Why yes. are we doing this? What is, what is my customer going to get out of it? Mm. If it's, right. is it? Is it financial savings? Is it peace of mind? Is it mm. more time? I, I don't know. Mm. But that's something that's part of the discovery. Right. And then you build uh, <laughs> build, the service, the, build the service. And mm. you probably you change the car. For example, You would like to have this is like something that, that that we worked on. We said, okay, how can we make the car experience customizable? Mm. 
how can we kind of automatically detect it's you and just based yeah. on let's say your phone or uh, something and uh, then we say okay you like this kind of music so i i kind of preload those music mm-hmm. i could uh, sp- play dance band then in the car yeah, in this case yeah, yeah. yeah. that's so, very yeah I could, uh, perhaps, yes. I could maybe adjust the steering width or kind of recommend you so yeah. that the, 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 we have the right steering width, we have the right seat length, we have the right mm-hmm. height, uh, right back support, etc. The more ergonomically, you know, for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's how you kind of create value for yeah. your customer because then they need to get something out of it, something more than what they will get from a from a normal from buying a car. Right. The experience has to be much better. Yeah. Then the question is, how are you going to deliver this? So are you going to sell this through your normal dealerships? Mm-hmm. Because they might not be very willing, no. because it's kind of hurt their business. Yeah, exactly, destroys right? their business model. As well. Yeah, or yeah. do you want to do it direct? But then again, you you kind of risk alienating your channel partners, mm-hmm. uh, or you want to kind of have this as a separate startup as a service. Or you want to partner with someone. Uh, you, you have different options. How exactly are you going to take this to market? How mm-hmm. do you take it from your factory? Right. to uh, your customer where they can drive it and use it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, what are the other touch points? What happens if a customer needs to service it? What mm-hmm. if, what happens if a, if a car breaks down? Are you going to cover roadside assistance? Is it part of the package or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens in changing tires? What happens in, uh, so you have to mandatory, you have to do the mandatory inspection every 14 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you take care of that? So what exactly is a given get? What is your customer supposed to do? Because if you're, if you're buying a car, you have to do all this on your own. Right. But if I'm renting the car, I don't want to do this all this. Yeah. But do you build that into the cost? Mm-hmm. You build that into the subscription. In some way it has to be included, but yeah. perhaps not. But what so. you give free yeah. as value, what do you charge for? Cool. And then, 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 then you, then the realization part is then finally when it comes down to the price, when it comes down to the actual subscription, when it comes down to the actual service contract mm-hmm. that the customer is going to sign, and how are you going to uphold that? Mm-hmm. Signing a contract is easy, but how do you uh, take? How do you really implement this? How do you implement a service? Mm-hmm. How do you implement insurance? How do you implement different things? And then from there, when you operate this for some time, then you have new insights, mm-hmm. and then you back into discovery. And, and when you say realization value, do you mean more like the amount of sales or do you mean more of like user experience? You know, what the user really... Eventually it has to generate cash yeah. because you've done all that. Mm. You have created, you have, you have discovered value, you have created value, you have delivered value to the customer. Mm. Now, what do you expect? I expect to be paid. Mm. So the UX or uh, service gen ultimately has to lead to customer paying me for the value that I've created. So in the realization, it's about how do I get paid? What are the touch points? What is the customer pays me for? How often does he, does he pay me for? Okay, so, so let me give you a counter example. And I'm trying to find a bad example here and just uh, yeah, to, to hear what your thinking is. So let's say that we want to maximize the, num- the sales for coming quarter. Mm. And we can do that in different ways. And then we have, let's say we have two KPIs. One is the, the amount of, you know, the turnover that we have mm. that quarter. And, and secondly, it's some kind of value of the user experience, which could be, I don't know, the, the length of the ride or mm. um, if we have some kind of survey that, you know, they give some NPS score or something for, you know, how well they actually like the service. And, and then we have to make a choice after the quarter saying, okay, we want to maximize the sales. And, and when we did it this way, we actually get higher number of sales, but lower, you know, NPS score. Hmm. And, and then we have to make a choice. And, and what, what would you guide companies to do then? Should they, uh, should they focus on sales also for the next quarter? Or sh- are there examples where the sales could perhaps not be the best KPI? Depends where you are in the maturity. I mean, if you see the BCG, uh, you know, you have the dogs, you have this, you have the car, you have the cash cow, you have the star and you have the question mark, right? Mm. If it's a star, 
what's what's your priority if if my priority is growth and mm. penetration i would like to keep sales enough to cover my costs mm. uh, but i'm not looking at kind of uh, really monetizing it or i'm not really looking at uh, cashing it out mm. right because i want to reinvest that money into uh, in, into more True. so but if my uh, but if let's say i've been running it for like 5 years i have a significant or a comfortable market position and i don't want to grow this anymore and mm. i want to now cash it out mm. so that's when i start kind of reducing uh, you you see that a lot of companies they they, they kind of take stop taking away uh, start taking away some of the fringe benefits and then they start kind of increasing the price and then you start putting some uh, you know uh, mm. for example so, you know okay so let me then be a devil's advocate yes. and and, and, <laughs> uh, and this is a very interesting topic i think by the way so um you, if you want to what i'm really trying to get this is about you know how we should optimize for short short term versus long term hmm. in some way and and just to give a more concrete example then let's say that we want to maximize sales for coming quarter hmm. and you can do a number of things to do that one is to invest in more marketing that probably will generate more sales so probably that's probably a, yeah that's going to be rather good the the other alternative is to invest more perhaps in innovation and, and r&d work and that's probably going to reduce sell, sales because you don't you know spend as much on that but potentially long term you're going to gain more yep so what's your thinking there how should we balance you know the, the more long term potential financial gains versus the short term potential gains so okay again i'm i'm going to say as a consultant it depends <laughs> good we scientists <laughs> but, say that as well yes. <laughs> so. uh, uh, but usually what company wants to do is that you need to cover your okay let's take this this Volvo Volvo example uh, yes. as a service what happens is when you're offering something as a service mm. the thing the capital you still have you're still funding for its cost so it is still on your inventory it is still a capital cost that mm. that you're incurring so you need a way to finance that mm. right so you still need to cover your operational cost because operational cost you it's very difficult to cover later because over or or a period of time you will the customers expect the you have competitive pressure, pressures you have more players uh, coming in you customers get uh, more familiar with the product usually the price kind of comes down yeah. right so if you're not covering your costs in the beginning right but what do you mean you should cover the costs already from the beginning i mean what basic have- operational costs so mm-hmm. let's say if i am uh, let's say if i am uh, if i have deployed let's say five people into a call center mm-hmm. to take calls and support my customers that's a, that's a, a variable cost for me that needs to be covered i am uh, paying an interest on the fund uh it, it could be just it, it could be even an internal uh you know uh mm-hmm. interest but i'm but I'm, I'm, i'm paying an interest on the money that i have taken as a loan from the company to finance this car for this customer mm-hmm. that interest at least needs to be paid so there are right. some parts of the cost that that needs to be covered the operational part the variable cost need should ideally be covered because Correct it's very difficult start, i mean volvo could have like very deep pockets you know as a big company and yes, they could but you have a fixed cost and a variable cost it's yeah. fixed cost you can cover through your margins yeah. over a period of time operational costs are running costs they will always be there with you as long as you're operating yeah. so it's very difficult to run very difficult to kind of recover your operating costs mm-hmm. because those usually are sunk cost once you have operated it it's it's gone and if you look at the cash flow point of view these are the costs that you are incurring right now mm-hmm. the subscription revenue that you're going to get 5 years on the line mm-hmm. it's going to get discounted mm-hmm. so let's say if you most companies for example take like 10% discounting rate mm-hmm. so 10% discounting rate 
of cash flow after five years is that cash flow amount divided by 10 to the, uh, the 1.1 to the power of five. Mm. Yeah, so li- lifetime value kind of calculate. Yes. This, right? So 1.5. Mm. So that means it's gonna. So that hundred dollar after five years is equivalent to seventy dollar right now, mm. or sixty to sixty five dollar right now. But mm. what you're what you're paying out mm. right now in hard cash mm. is your variable costs. So you need to balance that. Uh, I mean, you, I mean, it depends. I mean, if yeah. if Volvo chooses to, if you want to really do it, you can do it. There's nothing. There's no law which says you should you should not do it or you cannot do it. Yeah. But I mean, I think everyone agrees that you know the best is if you can cover the cost from the start. But but sometimes you need to take a sometimes really big you have to do that. And then that's a strategic decision that you have to take yeah. knowingly. Yeah. So you know that you're going to take that decision. You are going to, I mean, look at the POCs, the companies too. Yeah. So many pilots. Yeah. I have done so many pilots. At a point of time, I said, start saying no to pilot. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to uh, mm. do a pilot because it, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. But people invest in those, and those are sunk costs. So uh, you have to be kind of you have, you have to, these are the things that you have to start thinking about very early mm-hmm. in the monetization strategy. Cool, and, and that I agree. Uh, that's an important thing to consider. But still, going back to this kind of short-term versus long-term balance hmm. in how you invest in things and, and the marketing versus uh, research kind of question, I would argue that a lot of companies are, are focused too much on short-term. Yes, yes, yes. And too little on long term. There are examples like the big tech giants, for example, that do so much long term investments. But a lot of other companies are focusing so much on the next quarter, I would argue. Would you agree with that? Uh, see, it depends on your cash flow situation. If I have deep pockets, mm. I don't care about the, sh- uh, about the cash flow. Why not? Mm. But if you, but most kind of company who are not, who have, don't have like a multi million dollar investment budgets, they need to kind of also focus on the cash flow. See, it's, 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 it's as you say, like cash flow is king. Mm-hmm. So it's all, at the end of the day, it's cash flow that, that kills you. So you have to be prudent about how you're managing your cash flow. And uh, I believe that value, if you are really adding value, if you think you're adding value, mm-hmm. then you should believe in it and then you should create that long term value. You should not focus too much on short term because if you're cashing out every time, you're not building any asset. It, it, it's like this. Uh, I, I, I put some money in a bank account and every month I'm getting an interest and I'm going to using it for something. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, spending it. Mm. My money is never going to grow mm. if I keep optimizing the short term gains. But if I keep it, then they are going to compound. And the, the way it compounds in this kind of situation is that you build customer loyalty. Mm. You build uh, word of mouth. You build your business assets. The assets themselves could become a good barrier to entry for other players because you have so much data, you have so much experience. So that's building those assets. I think should be the priority. Monetization. When I talk about when I talk about monetization, building business assets should I think be the priority for most companies. Mm. Sometimes you might have to kind of take short term decisions. Mm. So you say, okay, well, I am gonna cash out part of it, mm. but I'm gonna still gonna. Build. So some, let's say this 10% customer base, I want to cash out. Mm. I don't want, I, I don't see these as my customers in the long term, mm. but I still have to serve them. Mm. So that, that's, that, that could also be a strategy. You don't have a single strategy for all the customers. You kind mm. of differentiate between different customers who you want to have a long term partners. Mm. There are some customers who prefer a transactional uh, arrangement, actually. They don't want to invest in the long term. Right. So, depends. Yeah. Cool. And this touch on another topic that is also dear to me, which is, you know, innovation and how to foster innovation in a company and something I think a lot of companies are not doing properly. Um, And it comes back a bit to to the long term versus short term, but I, I do so often 
here companies say, you know, we only have to focus on on the next quarter, and we have to, you know, cover the costs. And of course, that's true uh, to some extent. But if we take some people say that you know innovation happens for the edge user or edge use cases. Mm. Um, so the question then can become for a company: Should you focus on the the main type of target audience that you have, the target t- type of users you have, mm. or and and that's probably true because that's really where the cash comes comes from. But how do you keep innovating? How do you keep um, you know being a leader in a field? If you only keep focusing on the users that you have today, that is a very, very, very good question, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's it's, and that's actually the the real dilemma that most companies face. You're absolutely right, mm-hmm. because you need to keep the lights on, and then you have to face, uh, then you have to keep uh, with the customers. But I think there's a always a part of, so GE had this fifteen percent rule. So you spend like fifteen percent of your time, paid time, to do innovation. Mm-hmm. The only risk that that I mean I have seen is that there is a very fine line between innovation and happy engineering. What's happy? Happy engin- happy engineering is that I do it because I love it. Ah, okay. Right. So it's happy, it's, happy engineering. Happy yeah. engineering. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I I solve it because I can solve it. Mm. So it's either fueled by adrenaline or fueled by testosterone. Mm. But there is not much business value, and the only way I think to have this innovation continuously. Flowing into organization is to be is, is to kind of complete the cycle of monetization. When you are close to the customer, you are delivering. Because mm. I have learned, I mean, people a uh, lot of times we have gone through these interviews with the user interviews, and we do this, uh, we we get the user research and everything. You get a feedback, you know. Mm. But I the best feedback that I have got so far is when I have actually pitched something to the customer. Mm. If it is good, customer says, "Well, I am in. I want it." If it is bad, they say get out, mm. right? And, lo- and many times it happened that the, we actually did innovation in that process of serving the customer. Uh, we we went to a we went to a uh, into, into a segment where we had no idea about. Went to the first customer, took their feedback, and they said your idea is crap. Mm. You know, just, just forget about it. We came back, we we modified it. Mm. For me, that's innovation. Then we went to the second customer. They said, okay, it's not that bad. Mm. We come came back again, and we modified it. I mean, we went to the third customer. They said it makes sense. By the time we go to the fifth customer, they said, "Okay, I want this." Mm. So what has happened was that the initial idea of the technology, what we had, that got repurposed mm. into something some, something completely different. At the same time, something that the customer was willing to buy into. Some of the products that that we have now at Bosch, and they they started in a very different way. Mm. I mean, it was designed for a different purpose altogether, mm. right? But then, when we started pitching this to the customer, we started doing this, talking to the customer. Uh, then we slowly started. I mean, that's something I loved about business development because in the process of selling, we also ended up shaping the products right. into something that, and because it was very simple, you take this to a customer and very in a very very stupid way and say, "Hey, this is what it is. What do you think?" Mm. And either they love it or they don't. And then sometimes they say, okay, I like it, love it. How much does it cost? And then you're screwed because then you have to go back and then do the value estimation. Then you have to calculate the value. What value are you adding? What we spoke about. Mm-hmm. So for me, this kind of innovation, which is connected to the market, which is connected to your customer, that is something which I think needs a lot of discipline. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it, gives you, it, it pays you dividends big time. Mm-hmm. And you need to kind of invest in this. And it's, it's a value adding activity. And um, I, if we turn the, the tables a bit and, and speak about monetization again, but perhaps more on the topic of 
why do people fail with monetizations? And I think you you had a number of reasons yes. for, for the lack of monetizations, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. Can yes. you just elaborate? You know, why do companies fail with monetizations? So, okay. Um, first one, which I which I find is that you always start with why, right? Mm. Do you have a compelling why? in your organization, why we are doing this. And uh, what happens is that most of the time, if you talk to people, and then this is where we were talking about earlier about the digital divide or the AI divide, yes. there are some part of the organization who are really scared about the change, right? right. Yeah. And there's another part of the organization who are very much enthusiastic, over overzealous, I would say, yeah. right? So this, if you don't have, a, if you don't kind of put them together into a why, why are we doing this? Why is it so important? Why is it so urgent for us to do this? the people would want to be a part of this right now people want to stay away from it mm. so i need to you need to have a big common why that everybody understands second i think is lack of a shared language that uh, the business the data even within the business different departments even within data different technologies they speak different languages there is no shared language and the shared language is business or business objective why are we doing this we want to do achieve this by this Everybody understands that, but you have to really market it. You have to sell this. Your job is not just to sell outside. You also you should also sell inside. You want to onboard people. Mm. Third thing, uh, I call it uh, the leadership re-education and leadership re-education re mm. because uh, I don't like the word when people say data illiterate because yeah. I think those people are very smart people yeah. and they are there because of their merit. But we should also understand where they're coming from. And most people who are in that uh, in that position right now, they come from a deterministic process-oriented culture. Right. They were post-IT. And if you are uh, kind of fortunate enough to meet someone who has lived through that, mm. then you know what pain and what fear they felt when their decision-making was taken away from them. Mm. Before the IT was there, everybody used to come to them and they used to decide how it needs to be done. But then the processes were introduced and they started working on the process. Now we are at the similar juncture where the autonomy is being taken away from them mm -hmm. because you want to distribute this autonomy to people on, on the front line. So they're scared. So they need to be kind of, they need to unlearn and relearn, but they need to be re-educated. Their experience is great. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, we don't live in that era anymore. We don't have one golden way of doing things. We mm -hmm. don't have one target segment. We don't have one uh, lean process. A mm. lot of the process design that we have is actually coming from the industrial mindset. The the the, the, the Frederick Taylor's work, you know, and 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 the uh, the Toyota production way, but that is kind of changing because now you need more variability. Now you need more different ways to reach value. You need more path to value, mm. you, and that uh, becomes important. So that's the re-education part. Um, lack of business ownership, I would say. Right. We, we spoke about yeah. that. And before we continue a bit, I mean, I think it's always nice to have some kind of concrete example. And perhaps we should continue with yeah. the Volvo use case. And I guess what you are speaking a bit about is uh, when you say the why reason is a why potentially to move more to a data or AI driven organization. The why is you are an automotive. I mean, Volvo continues to be an automotive company, I, I hope. They have been an automotive company. They've been a car manufacturer. Mm. I hope they want to be a car manufacturer. How would this initiative or this uh, product help them become mm. a better car manufacturer. Right. Because many people, I kind of find it a little bit uh, difficult to understand when people say, we want to be a data-driven company. We want to be a data company. What do you exactly mean? Are you going to change? I, I mean, do you want to kind of change your business model? What is What do you really mean by that? So I, I think actually what you say here is, is kind of important. It, it's sometimes dangerous to say, 
we should just become data and AI driven. It should be driven by something else. Yes. So your right? customers, your customers still want to buy car from you. They don't want to buy data from you. Yeah. How? What do you mean by you want to be a data company? So what did they say is, I mean, the way I like it is that someone says, someone once, one good leader said, he said, okay, we want to reduce the downtime of all our field equipment globally by forty percent in the next three years. Mm. Now that sets a very concrete example, a direction for the organization, not just for the data and AI team. Of course, the data and AI team, they are working on the predictive models. They are working on getting the data and working, uh, predicting when the machine is going to fail. Mm. But then the other part of the organization is also working on that mission because then the field service is thinking about how can we make ourselves more agile? How can we have a quick response? The supply chain department is thinking about, okay, how can we manage the part availability and the tooling more efficiently? How do we take, how do we, the legal team is saying, how do we manage the legal risk in a better way. Mm-hmm. That is something that needs to happen. I mean, that tying together mm-hmm. of different uh, functions of an organization together in, towards the same objective, using data, leveraging data and AI. I think that's what modernization is about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm sure I followed exactly, but but let me see if I if I try to, to phrase it, uh, what you said here. So, so the why in this case could be something about transforming a company from being a manufacturing company to becoming a service company in some could way. Could be. Right. Could be. You don't want to bring the builder product that takes the customer from A to B. You want to have a different way. Uh, mm. You want to take them. This is a t- t- typical marketing myopia mm. uh, concept. How do you see yourself? Do you see, see yourself as an oil company or do you see yourself as an energy company? Right. Do you see yourself as a transport services company? But then, because then it comes, a lot of other things come with it. Right. So that's, that's, that, that definition is very, very important. What do you want to, how do you, and how does this initiative fit into that vision? Mm. Someone says, okay, we want to be a completely economic. We want to be carbon neutral. We want to be carbon negative. Mm. Right. How does this help in that? Mm. So that way. Okay. But define a why and then be really clear on, you know, what the reason for that need of change is. Yes. Right. So that's one. And then you spoke about the shared language in some way. And, and I certainly can uh, agree with that. And, you know, business people sp- speaking one way, engineer in another, data scientist in a third, and perhaps finance. While they're talking about, about, more or less, they're talking about the same thing. Yes. But still, you have so much, so much miscommunication because yes. and they, they still use don't different technology. each other properly. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's certainly true. And, and then the re-education. And, uh, and that can mean, I mean, if we take the, the transformation from, manufacturing to service, I guess it's it's a lot of people that need to change yes. you know, how they work, right? Yeah, so, you, you need to know what, what do you know about the service business? And yeah. first of all, if you need, want to go to a service, where do you start? You start with your customer service. Mm. But how many companies are doing that? Actually going and talking to their customer service and hey, what do you think? If you want to be a service company, what do you think we should do? They know it. Nobody's asking them. Mm. Cool. So re-education uh, and the next step, what would that, what, what, what that be? Uh, business ownership. ownership. I'll say that right. you need to own, the business needs to own this thing because it's time has gone when it used to be a data initiative or AI initiative. Now it has to be a business initiative. Mm-hmm. You need to own this thing. It's, 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 see, I, I understood because I come from a, I told you about my second uh, portfolio that I handled, which was data analytics. Mm-hmm. This first one was actually, I was handling engineering services. So basically you have yes. like a lab like this yeah. and I would rent it out to you and you pay me a fi- fixed money. Yeah. So I come from a very traditional uh, kind of business as well. I, I understand that as well. It is until last decade, it was understandable that you did not understand it. Mm-hmm. Now it is so easy to understand and learn, right? You, you spoke about the podcast. I mean, mm. there are so many different ways. You can, you can, you can, you can YouTube, uh, you can listen yeah. to a podcast, you can read. There's so much information available. Mm. I don't think there's an excuse. 
that you can make and say i don't want it mm. or i don't see a value in it i think value of data and ai i don't think there is a question about mm. that mm. everybody we know that it is going to create a lot of value in the long term so you have to better be on board mm. so then uh, how much are the business leaders willing to adopt this how much how much they are willing and what is their mandate are is is data and ai on their goals mm. is adoption on their goals is experimentation on their goals so it has to we need to change also start think about changing how do we change the, their kpis how do we change align align their goals everybody at the end of the day works on what their goal sheet is mm-hmm. how do we align those goals towards becoming becoming more data ai oriented yeah and and the ownership if you just try to to make that a bit concrete as well I mean I think it, it is a very important part you know if you just force something upon people and they don't own it themselves it will never really work yes. right that's what you're saying yeah. and and if we were to try to describe it in this case you know how I guess someone could previously own a small part of the manufacturing chain that they have hmm. or pr- pr- manufacturing lane that they have and and then they need to if we simply force upon them to to st- then start doing something else that probably would be hard right yeah. and and what you're saying if i understand it correctly is uh, we need to make sure that the ownership is pushed down throughout the organization yes. so they own every part of it and will drive it themselves yes. in the right direction yes. in some way yeah. yes okay yeah cool that makes sense and um, okay is that all the steps or do you have and some finally more? the okay this is a bit uh, uh interesting the total cost of ownership of right. our data and ai asset mm. and uh, once we just calculated like back of the envelope estimation mm. and uh, this initiate it was actually quite funny uh, i shouldn't say funny but but we came to a number which was like 15 million dollars mm. over 5 years so we said the customer that your total cost of ownership of this initiative this data and ai wh- mm. whatever you're building is uh, around 15 million euro mm. and they were like yeah but we don't agree to this or we we don't approve this I said you already have, because whatever you have built over the last two years, I'm not taking any new development. I'm just taking those. Now you need to operationalize this, mm. right? Now you need to uh, train people. Now you need to you need to take it out into the market or ensure uh, there's adoption or you integrate this into process. So uh, there's a lot of downstream activities which you have not thought about. Mm. But the problem is, since you have invested one and a half million euro in the last two years, now you're on a slippery slope. So now you cannot just one day say, okay, one and a half million, no problem. let's go with it mm. so just by signing up on this you have actually without estimate as far understanding the total cost of ownership of this initiative you actually signed on to it mm. and i think this is another reason that organization need to understand that there is a cost uh, which is currently hidden and i'll tell you why how, how it is hidden lot of lot of companies don't calculate the employee cost into the cost of the initiative they they take it out the result is that the employee productivity suffers because now they don't have an incentive they are not they are no longer visible in that uh, to the finance mm. many companies don't put their poc's costs mm. they, they don't put their user their their, their customer uh, research costs mm. into the initiative once you, if you do start doing proper cost accounting you realize that you have spent a lot more than what you think you have and you are you will continue to spend this money how are you going to get this back what's your plan So that's something that is another reason why people not think about monetization. So having more holistic understanding of the of total cost total cost of, of ownership yeah. of the asset. And finally I think the explainability and the risk. Uh, I mean the other day I was talking to one of the guy and he was he was building a solution that uh, could it's potentially so if you it acts like a API gateway or a web server proxy server mm. where if you choose uh, select a particular uh, 
search for a product, you will see a different price if you're in Stockholm and you will see a different price if you're in, Mal in mm. Malmo. Yeah. Now, what are the implication of this, right? It is uh, very easy if you're putting a completely black box AI system. It's right now you might be doing it based on location, but you mm. never know what AI gonna pick up. It might start differentiating between based on color, based on age, mm. based on gender, you don't know. Because if it makes an assumption that all the people living here mm. have high income, and that happens to be a certain ethnic group, mm. and all the people living here have part become a certain group, mm. and they have lower paying ability and they have higher paying ability, you start, before you know it, you, you start introducing bias even without knowing it. So this is kind of risk so, that the yeah. business owners need to understand and act on. And how do you solve that? How do you avoid, you know, having this kind of uh, unknown biases being built into the system? You should be careful. I mean, I said I'm not going to endorse this. This is this is risky. I mean, mm. legally, of, of, I mean, unfortunately, the law is silent on these things. They, mm. they don't say you, you should do it or you should not do it. But then you should understand how biases build up and what mm. will happen if this goes wrong. So this, I think this is the part of re-education to understand really implication, understanding risks. Uh, of what could happen. And I would probably go and talk to someone like you yeah. and say, hey, you know, wh what do you think? I I, um, I would like to jump in into this. Um, so by the way, the, everybody who is watching today, Hendrik is not here. So Hendrik, if you're watching, you're missing quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this um, is also one of his favorite topics. But yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. So probably he's uh, right now. Sitting and jumping on his chair, you know, he wants <laughs> yes. to interrupt, but he can't. Yes. <laughs> We are waiting for your, for your, what was it like, uh, goosebumps uh, yeah. type of uh, timing. Um, I think that we are, before we go to the biases, I think that you mentioned a couple of interesting things here, but uh, as well, it's a little bit confusing, hmm. okay? Because we need to break it down into pieces and that uh, break it down into specific steps. And I think that uh, um, uh, you put this in the, the preface of what we have discussed before in the levels. Hmm. Um, so I will mention three things. So the first thing said like this monetization never picked up, hmm. right? Uh, the reason why it didn't picked up because it was never picked up by the senior management. Yes. Okay. So the first question is actually when it comes to data and AI deployment and innovation, if we are looking at CXO operational tactical level, who is pushing the innovation forward? Who is fighting that this is actually the breakthrough technology? I think it's mostly the data teams. It's the data product managers, analytical managers who are trying to find use cases. Okay. Trying to push it to the business. That's that's the conversation that I've had with most people. So maybe head of analytics or head you're of talking analytics, about like data scientists purely? Data scientists. Okay. What about domain experts, business uh, users like uh, the maintenance guy? Because you mentioned quite a lot of maintenance guys, right? If I, uh, in my experience, they're still uh, quite reactive to this. Mm -hmm. They're still not kind of pushing it proactive, still trying to understand. See, the, the thing is this, the people try want to understand. If you don't, if you're not open and transparent about what you want to do, uh, then the risk is that people want to know where do they fit when everything falls down. Mm. So I have think, I mean, I, a lot of people have actually think that this could lead to loss of their jobs or maybe they don't see themselves fitting into this new ecosystem. But I have not seen business kind of leading very, very, very in very few cases, the business uh, is actually leading this thing. Mm. So far, what I have experienced is that business is very reactive in and they're, they're, they're reacting to this. So the data, data guys comes and say, hey, I have got your data. I built this model. 
it can do this do you want to try it out uh, i i say mm. yes i say no i don't know it d- depends upon how my mood is right and depends upon whether whether when i see this initiative as something that will give me a promotion or something that that will get me fired we will come back to that because i think that this was amazing topic that we have not discussed before and i believe it's so true um but before we jump to this so if we can answer very straightforward or in a, some kind of a consensus between all three of us right Um so who is leading right now the data and AI innovation in the organization I'll tactical they, operational uh, or CXO I'll say it's more tactical okay so more tactical good so so when we are talking about lack of so why organizations are failing with AI monetization and then you mentioned a couple of things which is absence of common why hmm. who creates the why it's the, it has to be the uh, at the top management level. Okay, so the CXO is making the why, yeah. right? Okay. So if the CXO is making the why, but the innovation is driven by um the the operation the tactical level. So we have basically just we don't even talk about the management. So we have like a huge gap because yeah. the why should be coming from the top, but the innovation and the people who are pushing for innovation, AI data yes. is coming from the top uh, from bottom up. Yes. Then you mentioned um, shared language. Yeah. How uh, who who creates a shared language in organization? Shared language is coming when you start collaborating, when you start openly discussing. See everybody at the end of the day everybody has goals mm. on their goal sheets, right? That is a shared language. Every, everybody understands those KPIs. Yeah. And if you can and if you see it's if 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 you compare uh, the KPI of a marketing person versus a, a logistics person, you still can find that they talk about more or less the same thing. They have to be they are aligned. Mm-hmm. They have to be aligned. Otherwise it's not going to work. It, it's not possible that the sales guy get a target of selling 20% more but the logistics guy does not get a target of uh, pushing or basically storing 20% more. It's not going to mm-hmm. it's not going to be possible. Okay. When you start talking about the business use cases and we start taking customer uh, at the front and center and you say how am I going to if I do this initiative, right? If I do let's say do, if I want to do predictive maintenance, what is my customer going to get? And how how can you help uh, Goran? How, how how can you help Anders, right? Mm-hmm. That conversation is where everybody starts becomes uh, involved in that process okay how do i contribute to reducing i gave an example how do i contribute to reducing the 40% downtime everybody knows that right but are we not asking those people right now yeah so the shared language can be created when we start talking about the same goals and everybody will say okay this is how i can do it and what i do is i say okay this is this is a piece of paper if you agree to this why don't you sign this okay so you sign you get people to sign on this and say okay i i commit to this you commit And okay. then you de- and then you deploy together, so you need all hands on deck. You need to have that shared language. It will come when you start talking to each other about the same thing. Right now, everybody is trying to drive their own agenda. Yeah. Okay. We come back to that as well. Let's move on. So, absence of common why hmm. that was a topic of CXOs. Yeah. Uh, shared language is the topic of it's a change management yeah. topic. It's yeah. like business uh, users yeah. management senior yeah. management okay leadership le- uh, re-education you mentioned yeah so mm-hmm. that's also CXO topic they have CXO, to, uh, CXO plus also mid management they okay. also have to understand uh, okay. what they don't know okay lack of business on ownership I believe management. management yeah okay mid management. management senior management okay and then uh, underestimate C, uh, TCOs and explainability same risk. same is business okay. business uh, so If we go now backwards a bit, right? So that means that the reason why we are failing actually with the uh, AI monetization is because we are we have a very unmature type of organization where the CXO in the management team or the business part doesn't understand the 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 capabilities or the opportunities coming with data and AI. So they are not pushing for this innovation no, they, rather they than they understand. They, they don't own it. 
ownership but how do you own it if you don't under- you own it because you 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 commit to it you you see okay this you you see that that you are i mean uh, if uh, you look at it and, and you say okay i am going to uh, i think this is a great idea which i can use for my business that that for me is also i so you don't allow you you don't say okay that this is somebody else's job you say it is your job because you are the ultimate beneficiary mm. of this initiative it's not going to be someone else if you adopt if i adopt data and ai in my process mm. to improve my uh, business uh, area i am going to be the beneficiary who should who do, who do you think should be owning it yeah so that's the topic about ownership it's not that they understand May, maybe there might be some uh, difficulty in understanding what how it works or what happens or how does it but that's not important do you understand that it produces value do you understand that it gives you certain benefits if yes are you willing to commit to work it's a hard work it's it's transformation is not a tea party it's it's difficult you have to redesign be willing to redesign your process you must be willing to let go of your control sure okay good i give that to you it's a good point but would we agree that if the innovation is coming from the tactical level data scientists the people who are actually working with this technology right and uh, we have absence of common why from the cxo we have uh, Uh, we we need leadership uh, re-education of data literacy, CXO data literacy that we are talking about. Then how do we actually solve this? Because uh, these initiatives, especially when we're talking about AI monetization, cannot come from a data scientist. It has to come from the top. Yeah. Okay. Or oh, yeah. I'm not sure, but okay. No, I mean, please, no, please, no, please, no, please, no, please no, do. Please. <laughs> yeah. No, I certainly agree that today, in many in many cases, it does come from the top. and um, especially when it comes to ai change uh, that is usually pushed down from the top and and in some i would argue it's a bit sad i mean so you can say you know who is pushing but who should really be pushing i think you know the the day when a company can have an data and ai chain being pushed from the domain expert being pushed from yeah. a team that is or uh, owning uh, a specific part of a service or a product and they say you know we need to ch- uh, make a change we need to be more data and ai and data data driven that is really when the big scale up would happen exactly right so even though it may be pushed today from cxo when it comes to why um, i think that the big change will really happen when it's being pushed from from the domain expert I, from I, the owners right? yes 100% yes and the reason why it's not happening because we very easily let people off the hook and we not kind of i mean would a cxo or ceo or whoever would they expect any kind of a uh, any uh, kind of shortcoming when it comes to their other goals would you accept if a procurement manager is not able to talk, deliver on their saving goals or a sales manager is not able to deliver on their uh, on their revenue goals would you accept that you will not let them off the hook but why do we let them uh, let them off the hook when it comes to the data and ai when you know that this is going to uh, deliver you dividends multiple times the investment but you, but, it, but it needs hard work and somebody has to put it it's not going to happen on its own okay yeah and i still love uh, you know the i think i mentioned it before the manufacturing example of the the floor grinder so this was a manufacturer a big swedish manufacturer and they had a domain expert that were Uh, building a certain machine a floor grinder and they could easily you know when they the human was driving it and testing it out and was operating the machine they could easily just hear by listening to the machine that you know something weird is happening now 
it's going to break down soon. If we don't do service on it soon, it's going to, you know, break down. And then someone, you know, came up with the idea of, you know, why not simply, you know, make this data driven? Why not put a microphone on the device, on the machine, and start, you know, collecting some data and training a model and then do a prediction saying probably it's time to do a service on a machine to, to have some predictive maintenance on it. And and that was very easily done. Mm. And and the really big thing I, I think in this case is it wasn't dependent on a centralized data science team or analytics team. It wasn't dependent on or forced on by CXOs. It was really, you know, driven by the the team itself responsible owning the machine. Yeah. And they could, you know, simply say, I, I can as human understand this is something that happens. Can't we simply collect some data and build a model to it? And I think, you know, when that starts to happening throughout the organization, that's really, you know, amazing, I think, right? Yeah. And and actually, you know, this, uh, okay, one, one, I'm going to add one, one, one comment to it. I think uh, Sweden, I believe, is very well positioned uh, for this data-driven uh, transformation because already the one first part of the problem is kind of taken care of. You already have that distributed autonomy mm-hmm. and people are empowered to make their own decisions. If you think about the com- cultures and companies who have more hierarchical, mm. where the information goes all the way up and the decision oh, comes all the way down, yes. they are going to struggle big time. Because again, and we all already see it, uh, I mean, uh, in COVID, when, uh, during COVID, when ca- managers are so used to seeing their people, you know, in front of them and then kind of gives them some kind of a uh, boost, mm. yeah, ego boost, when they had to let go because you cannot work from the office, people struggled with that. People struggled with letting go. And it's going to, same thing is going to happen with very hierarchical companies, hierarchical cultures. You, that, that the whole information loop is going to be disrupted. And AI, data and AI is going to do that. That's, that, that. that's its job. You want to bring, if you want to be agile, you have to reduce the reaction times. And the only way to do it is to actually take the decision making to the front line because they are the first respondents. If they decide and if they are able to take action, then you have agility. If you have to wait, you have to wait for someone to approve. Then what's the point actually doing it? Because you still have this, you still take the same amount of time. Okay, so we are in agreement that the innovation should be starting from bottom up. Yeah, is that what you're saying? Like the it, 3M model and uh, I, I the. I think it is. It's dangerous if it only happens from the top. I think you know the best case scenario if, is if is if it's happening ab- everywhere, right? In, in every level, but at least it should be happening from the bottom up. I think yep. as well. And the top needs to support uh, that. Yeah, yeah, and I agree on that. And if there is a number of cases actually that I spoke recently about uh, with uh, some people about this. It's very good. But if you're lo- if you're looking at the the market right now and what is selling mm-hmm. and what the consultancy companies are doing and many other people are talking about is actually the um, AI trans uh, AI driven transformation. This is the biggest hot. So when we uh, the biggest uh, hot topics right now huh. topic right now. And um, uh, if we are talking about like when you said like uh, AI monetization never became a topic of interest is because it was too early. Uh, yeah, too early. It was too, too early. early. Yeah, okay. You, you because too early. Uh, let's 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 do a um, let's do a some sh- small summary of the past five years. What happened in a data science and machine learning? Right, two thousand fifteen. Data scientist uh, come on stage. Everybody thinks it's a magician, so he can do everything. You remember at that point of time we were talking about finding the right data scientist. Nobody was talking about data science as a function. 
Um, I had a privilege to speak with the Anders and then meet uh, Carl Sved from Ship Sved then etc. And started discussing like this is a function. This we have seen this all before, right? So the, the the advanced analytics function starts to develop and all of these other things. We are moving to machine learning and, and uh, the rest of the stuff. So in the past five years, organizations have went through this experimentation phase where they have actually found the right people, tested the right POCs or maybe the wrong POCs. It doesn't matter. They have had some kind of experimentation, figure out how this works, what is actually a hype, what is not, how the strategy should look like, which what thing actually can fly in the organization, how can we sell this in the organization, which is even the most important part in this whole thing, because if you cannot sell it, you cannot use it. So we have the people, we have the processes, we have the technology, now we need the why. Yeah. So if the why stays in the in the CXO suit, which we are which we were discussing before, then we have a problem. So if we autonomize the 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 the, the bottom up approach, so basically like the three M, where the innovation was coming from, you know, the post list and etc. was coming from this fifteen percent mm. innovation time the three M gave them in the beginning of the nineteenth century or whatever, what was twentieth uh, century etc. Maybe it's Good, but how right now uh, the question is, so it's still confusing because everybody's talking about that now is the time for AI transformation. You're saying that this, this is a CXO problem, but we all know that this should be driven from bottom up. Huh. So who is right, who is wrong? And how do we actually make no, it no, work? I'm not saying that it's only the CXO problem because most of the things when we, when we talk about the lack of business ownership. But it's, a, it's the why problem, right? This is like, a, okay. Uh, so I think I can phrase it in a different way and, and I can contextualize it a bit. And, and if you take a big tech company in Sweden or, or a company that is at least, you know, very technology driven from the start and they have product owners, for example, that are you know, in charge of a certain piece of a functionality in some service. And they have uh, 15 years of experience in how this service works. And they know what users will like and will not like and can drive the change because of their experience. And then someone comes in and say, you know, why not be data-driven? It's a hard sell for to make, to, to make the people change. So, you know, in thinking about change management here, and, and what a lot of people say is not only the techno technology, it's perhaps mainly the, the people and the organization that needs to change. Uh, of course, the technology needs to change as well. But but the hard thing is, I would argue, potentially the people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then, but then, see uh, the culture. I mean, what? How? How many companies really foster this? I actually uh, read a quote. It mm -hmm. says that if you want to succeed, double your failure rate. Ah, I love that. Yeah. That's failing and fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought this is probably from Jeff Bezos because he talks about experimentation quite a lot. Yeah. But you wouldn't believe this is from Thomas Watson from IBM. Uh -huh. And this uh -huh. goes back at least 50 years. So the thinking has been there. How much of that has percolated today? I think it's another t-shirt, you know, if you want to succeed, double your failure rate. I love that quote. Uh, by the way, uh, we need to talk about this t-shirt because it's time to order them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I found I found a person. Um, Yes, please continue. My, my point with all of this is because you have this monetization works on several levels. Yeah. That was my point yeah, yeah. Uh, the, to coming back. The reason I, why CXO, I'll tell you, uh, just, uh, I'll just continue this, because ultimately someone has to take accountability. AI system will not going to be like 100% accurate from, 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 from day one. There are going to be mistakes. Someone has to own that. Let's say you get a recommendation that you should ship a certain product, right? Mm -hmm. 
Now you have a real cost associated with it, and if you have a real cost associated with not doing something, hmm. let's say it, the it, it it's ninety eight percent accurate. Who owns the the two percent? If something goes wrong, will will I own it as a line manager, or do I need the CEO to own it? Who should enable that that enablement? But then it's a it's a question is if this is uh, good to have or nice to have or uh, good to have or or uh, must have. No, how how else would you kind of? But like uh, let's say so I'm a business owner, right? Um, so um, as a business owner, you calculate risks huh. on everyday basis. Everything that you do, you start a project, you you calculate the project, uh, you calculate the risk, right? So like uh, we have this project, we have ambitions, we want to succeed. Let's go ahead with it. I have already calculated my risks that in worst case scenario, this is going to come. So if I'm not, you know, accepting the risks or not accepting the risk, I'm just basically playing around with the risk. I, 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 it's like, I, this is not going to affect me that much. Do I take these things uh, seriously or not? And so what is right? said is supposed to happen. I also thought it is supposed to happen, mm. and yet we see companies who have investing on data and AI for last two years, and they still don't know what the hell they are building. Yes, because they are experimenting, and this is positive. It shouldn't be negative, but no, no. Th- there is no why. But they have actually in these two years probably found, um, uh, probably identified how they can work, what works for them, is this technology for them, which technology they should use again. So I think this is not completely negative. Not completely negative, but yeah. at the point of at some time at in this journey, you need to start aligning yourself. The problem is that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Yes. So if you don't know what you are building, on what basis do you, do you know whether what you have done is right or wrong? Yes. If you don't have a north star, right? If you don't have a, some kind of a time, some kind of value estimate, what? How do you benchmark yourself? How would you even know after even after five years? Let's say you experiment for five years. What do you benchmark benchmark yourself against? If you don't have any framework to measure, so you so you so you are like space. Uh, you are floating in space with your eyes closed. How the hell do you know what is north, what is south, where you are? You cannot. You need to have a frame of reference. You mm. need to have something to look at and then define yourself with that benchmark. And I'm saying, do companies have that benchmark? Do they know what they are building? Do, do they know what they, at least where they are aiming towards? Do they need to? How else will you know if you're? How do? How else will you know if you're improving or not? That is true. So you need to have some yeah, kind of board if you're aiming to excellence. But if you're aiming on the experimentation, yeah. But so, but then, then another question: When does the experimentation ends, and when yes. does the so, and and this is, this is the, the the topic that we need to go into because this is a very important. My part of this was that I believe that t- today we are finding ourselves in a time where this is actually everything comes to place. We have had the time of experimentation. Now it's time for monetization. Yeah. But as you're saying is it's right now it's the this the AI topic becomes a topic not of the data scientist becomes a topic of data literacy and competence of leaders to identify the potential of this technology and utilize that in the organization. Yes. So how do we come there? How, how it's also another dimension to it. I mean, one thing is that the technology has been really mature for a long time and yeah. it's been exploding in recent years and there is ways to do things that was never possible before. But um, I think, you know, the other aspect is uh, a lot of people confuse the normal type of software engineering to AI engineering. 
And the two to build an AI-enabled systems uh, system is very different, I would argue, yeah. than to build a traditional system, and especially because of the huge de- dependence on data. Yes. And uh, if you don't have the data dependence, the large data dependence that AI systems has, it's easier to to plan and to you know to know what will happen when you spend a sprint on building something. Yeah. But in AI that is super dependent on the data, you know you don't know until you tried it. You need yeah. to try and build a model on the data, and only afterwards you can say if it did have the predictive power or not to actually be useful. So I, I would argue um, that you know the need for exploration and experimentation will continue, and they need to expand it and double it. And yes. Double. I think you know what you said. You know, if you want to be successful, double your failure rate exactly. is extremely true, especially in the age of AI. So yeah, I mean, what is it? So basically, if you know where you're going with general direction, you don't have to be like very specific. But if you know a general direction, then it gives you more flexibility to explore and experiment because mm-hmm. then you can build guardrails and say, hey, I am not gonna maybe invest too much time if I go beyond this threshold. Then probably I should I should, I should, I should try something else. Right now there are no guardrails at all, and that becomes a worry because then what happens if you don't have any guardrails? The 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 difference between innovation and happy engineering is very very fine. Very easy to go into a rabbit hole and do something just for the sake of it. I like, I like that the happy engineering. I believe that is what I was explaining. I think that man, many companies have been on happy engineering yeah, yeah. until now. So because it it feels good, you know, I can build some cool stuff. But yes, how is that solving? How because every money, every, every day, every minute, you are spending money. How much? When are you actually creating value? And that that comes from accountability. That comes from ownership. Okay, so so um, if you stop here, and then uh, so now we have identified uh, uh, a number of uh, challenges, and we have identified that basically there are a number of layers of innovation, and who is driving the innovation, and how they should be looking into a future. Um, so let's make like a concrete step, uh, and let's take uh, the, the the Volvo example, mm. okay? Because I believe this is a very good example, right? Mm. It's a huge organization; they have a huge amount of money that they can spend on uh, on experiments, right? And including AI or business models, because uh, part of being a company is actually exploring other business models, yes. right? So some will succeed, some will fail. How many projects that uh, Google? Has as a failure. Yeah, <laughs> insanely large. Right? Huh? Okay, so so I, I I don't think that is negative. So no, let's build no, a monetization a really plan for a company huh. that is traditional. Because what we are talking today is not actually about how to monetize on AI, because AI should be for good. Yeah. Right. There is no question about it. But what we are discussing today is how actually a traditional company can move from that traditional type of business to algorithmic business. Yeah. Okay, not data-driven business that we also discussed that might not be so suitable for so many companies. Sorry, if you can put up "kill by Google" website, by the way, it's fun to see all the products that that, that Google has killed. It's like insanely large number of products, and these are products that they actually move to production. It's not prototypes you're speaking about. Kill by Kill by Google dot com. But you know, there's a concept called uh, idea mortality rate. In, uh, mm-hmm. in in the, in the innovation uh, theory, and it says that the more you are able to kill, yes. the more innovative you are, exactly. because you're not taking you're not spending money where it does not belong. Yeah, so I, I will put this in the, on the, the streaming link as well, so people can see it actually. So, 
And we can scroll down and, and it never stops scrolling. <laughs> it's so many, many products here. It's like insane. You can just scroll forever here. And uh, it, yeah, and you can recognize some of them. You, yeah. So many you don't know about, but yeah. uh, and you're not, you can see the scroll bar. You're not even, you know, in the. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, nothing <laughs> It's, it's funny. But, but, like, but, but this, this is good. You see, I mean, if we are looking into becoming something like this, you also need to be capable of doing something like this. Yeah, exactly. Kill your darlings and early type of point. And it's like a 2013, this, this is six years project, YouTube mm. before Nintendo 3DS. Yeah. Huh? That, that requires courage to, to kill projects. And that was a problem in IoT. That was a problem before that in general innovation in NPD. That was a problem now. You cannot kill your darlings because it, it, it's your baby to, to get too attached to it. Someday it will grow up and do something. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. Okay, but let's uh, get concrete right now. So we, we go from uh, challenges, which basically we uh, accomplished, I think, quite well. And now uh, let's move to the business value. How do we actually help, uh, let's say, uh, Volvo monetize uh, or move to algorithmic business, how yeah. they can see the potential of monetization with AI. So, I mean, something, for example, if I would like to define something that I want to increase my service revenue uh, by 20% or 30% in the next three years using the uh, real-time data from the vehicles, and uh, kind of increase my penetration by 20% in my current customer base or a new, a new customer base. So something that is specific, but at the same time, something that is a business objective, business objective that, that, that relates with their business model, with their identity as a company. So that not just the data, not just the data science teams or not a data team, but everybody in the organization can relate to it. Many companies had this vision 2020. So Rest in peace. Mm -hmm. uh, but 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 you know you need something. I had an event called Data Twenty Twenty. Now it's called Data Twenty Thirty. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of twenty 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 became twenty thirty. And you, if you see, I mean, I, I don't have a statistics on this, but if you have a very definite goal, right? People are more likely to follow it. People are more likely to identify themselves with it. Because then you put that problem on the, on the table and then you, so you, 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 don't, you don't tell people what they should do. You say, hey guys, this is the problem that we are trying to solve. What can you do? And let people come up with theirs. Data science will of course do their part, but everybody else should also do their part as well. So that is, I think, in my opinion, the, 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 the starting point. So a common goal or- A common, well-defined, very specific goal that creates an, that creates a measurable outcome. Because if you say 40% or 20% increase in service revenue, it's measurable. Mm -hmm. Yes. The value of that goal is also measurable. If you say, if you, if you can increase service revenue by 20% and then we have, let's say, uh, 5,000 customers as subscribers to Volvo cars, this network, that also, that, that value is also measurable. What is not measurable if you don't define anything? And then you have nothing to measure. If you can't measure, you can't control. Okay, but you 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 take like a you take like a uh, a big vision. Let's say so specific vision. So it could be small, but it should be specific. Okay, good. So, but if we are taking now, let's say like uh, um, a company, and they need to move to a, they want to start monetizing with AI, right? And we are talking about this common goal. Uh, let's say that I just have to let the person in. Yeah, yeah, yeah just I'll be back worry. in a few minutes. Uh, and uh, so this is how actually the podcast should look like when people start jumping in. <laughs> um, 
No, my, my point was here. So basically, let's take like a common big goal. So uh, you have a traditional company that actually right now wants to become a data-driven company or uh, start monetizing an algorithmic business. And they say like, like Danfors did, uh, Grunfors. Uh, we are not an engineering company anymore. We are a water company, right? It's completely redefining the way how you actually see yourself. And that goal then kind of percolates in everybody. What do I do as an innovation head? What do I do as a sales head? What do I do as a marketing head, as a legal head, as a commercial head? That percolation is happening because then you start relating to that goal. Yeah. And you try to say, okay, what can I do? That's when you start, that's when the collaboration happens because now you know I cannot do it on my own, but I have to do something. Yeah. And that is where the shared language is created because now you need to collaborate with others. So you need, you have all hands on deck. Yeah. That's second step. You get everybody in. Third is then you start building this culture of experimentation because you know you, you're going to fail. So better fail fast okay. and fail small. So now we are talking about completely opposite the, uh, approach, which is basically from top to bottom where we have a common goal now distributed or uh, uh, shred into smaller pieces and then moved around the organization. So everybody has a common goal to go to, but they basically need what they need to do in their domain expertise and now it comes to the innovators yeah. basically to innovate it right that that's my view okay. of course uh, i mean anders has a different the way i can kind of uh, put it together is that if you have a common goal mm. right then i can decide as a business as a domain owner how i want to achieve that so you have innovation you have a direction coming from the top management that say this is where we want to go specifically but then the way you should, the how is actually coming from the domain owners or the business owners and they say how and can i add to that and it's important that you take a large goal you cannot take i'm, I'm going to improve this by five percent it's not going to cut it you need to have it like 40 percent people should really start thinking okay this is crazy because only then they will come together otherwise they won't come together i like this you don't like this but uh, this yeah, is more like that, steve job uh, this is a little bit more steve jobs uh, you know like when you start i don't uh, think i like it anymore if we, you say that yeah <laughs> the, the goal is too big so like okay let's uh, let's move let's make this. a dent in the universe <laughs> i think that it actually works because if you give people a, a larger vision they actually um, assemble to it you need to have you need to have a sense of urgency and you need to have a timeline it's okay. it, it is 3 years yeah we are at uh, 138 and we have a couple of topics actually that you mentioned here and uh, Anders will correct me with this and I think yeah. that it was uh, great for you to mention. The first one is that basically technology um, uh, monetization strategy bridges technology assets with business opportunities. Yeah. What do you mean by that? What I mean is, uh, first of all, the word is the asset. And uh, the why it's asset because we when we when we talk uh, spoke about the ownership of that and AI, then the the responsibility in my opinion of the data team is to build the data and AI to an extent such that it can stay it's alive outside its lab environment, and that's when we talk about operationalizing it. Mm. So you are one step after the typical POC or typical model, but then you are one step before building it into a product. So imagine like you have a chassis and your engine and then you have a steering, right? But then you can repurpose it into different ways. So that is what I define as an asset. I still don't have a very concrete definition, but asset is something that is between a model and a final, a full defined product. Something that can be owned. The, the qualification for the asset is that it should be, it should be, it should be able to, uh, you must be able to operate and own it independently 
uh, it has a cost function and it has some kind of a value function yeah. right and then it is sustainable if you give the business something which kind of defines or kind of uh, you know d- defines in this uh, kind of satisfies this requirement then they can own and operate it one uh, good way to do that for example if you see with the safe implementations many companies have created the bio organizations so you have business information officer so the it is kind of moving in along with business right and they are creating kind of creating their own uh, portfolio so something like this how can we take the the, the models and the uh, assets that are being uh, or basically the models and the uh, uh, the data sets that being developed by the data teams but how do we kind of personalize this within the business or incubate this within the business that's what i say about that, that's what i mean by the, by a data a technology asset an asset is something that can be owned and operated on its own and the second part is then the business opportunity is then you have kind of imagine that you have you have like different ingredients or different data products or the data assets and then you can combine them in different ways to create products and services at the end so that's what the business opportunity is so somewhere in the data strategy on the ai strategy we need to uh, the data teams need to uh, build operationalize ai and hand it over to the uh, to the business so this handover is is required and then the business should be able to independently work with them and deploy them in different ways to create different personal services yeah okay that's on cool and um it's getting time to soon move into more philosophical topics i think mm-hmm. we have already touched you know we started with meditation and yeah. i think it would be fun to end with that as well but I have one uh, more business oriented question first okay. before we move into that and I know you uh, also work a lot with startups and um, if uh, someone that is thinking or has <clears throat> just started with a startup is listening to this and you would try to give them some some advice huh? in especially when it comes to data and AI um, what would you advise them to do or not to do in their early days of the startup okay i would say that Uh, number one, don't get infatuated by technology. Yeah, that's a very dangerous trap to be in. Cool. You should so focus on the business I, I value. I like that a lot, and basically saying you know you shouldn't focus on the technique itself, but yes. the use case or the end user yes. experience. Be, yes, be 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 shameless yeah. when you while going to the customer. And I, I think I, I read somewhere that if you're not sacrificing the user value, if you're not sacrificing quality for speed, mm. uh, your competitor will be serving your customer. So you need to be shameless, and I, I, you won't believe what kind of production solutions I have taken to my customers. They were ridiculous, and I had to cover them with beautiful slides somehow because yeah. the POCs. Sometimes two times, I went to the same customer for the demonstration, and the demonstration didn't work. Mm. Right, so that things will happen, but you have to yeah. be shameless. But be very in a very very close contact with your customer. Understand their business model. Understand how understand their budgets. Understand how they're spending money. and most importantly i think this is this is cool uh user value is not equal to the business value because the technical user mm-hmm. is not the same as economic uh, the technical buyer is not the same as the economic buyer mm-hmm. you have to understand how economic buyer thinks right economic buyer will think in terms of investment what do you mean with economic buyer by the way let me give an example so let's say you're building a let's say you have a great model that's mm-hmm. that's an engine and then you put that into a brilliant product that's let's yeah. say a, a vehicle or or a ferrari yeah. so the user value 
is uh, this Ferrari goes from zero to something in so many uh, seconds and it has a it, it looks very sexy it has uh, the nice exterior and you have this great uh, uh, seat and a music system etc that that's user value now business value asks the question what are you going to do with that ferrari mm-hmm. now if i come to you as an investor and say hey i want to deliver hot food anywhere in stockholm for in 10 minutes mm-hmm. right how long do you think it's going it, and, and, and i will pay you back with my profits how long do you think i will take to pay you back for the cost of ferrari which probably cost maybe a few millions yeah. right at the same time if i say you know what i am experienced race driver i know how to participate in legal races so far my average is that i win like four races out of 10 but with this vehicle i can make like six or seven races out of 10 mm. and i make comfortable 2 million every That's- year right so now you have a business case but this business the, not the business value is you say okay i'm going to get my roi in so many time mm. but it also in, in 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 turn impacts the user value because then you say okay you want to, a racing vehicle why do you want a shiny print i want to put stickers because mm. i want to monetize the exterior mm. i want to have more safety mm. i don't want uh, miss system i want to have a pa system mm. so the user value is actually impacted by the business value but i have not seen many design thinking workshop where the economic buyer is a target persona it's very very rare Uh, okay so let me just elaborate a bit more on that but because you know, sometimes you hear especially these kind of big uh, social media companies at least claiming that the primary KPI for them is user experience even if it means losing money in improving the user experience they will do it in some way mm-hmm. and if i were to just speak on, on their behalf so to speak and in why they're doing this is because you know sometimes it's hard to know what the business value will be in the long run yeah but as long as you're optimizing for the user experience it will be what wins in the end in some way Would yeah i'm 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 saying sacrifice user value not user experience user okay. value basically means that you kind of you don't get fancy seats Mm. but you get comfortable seats it's not that you i'm, I'm going to put a chair mm. but you actually and you reducing the, the the number of features essentially but you're not kind of sacrificing the quality of those features sometimes you have to because if you want to really validate your idea but in general i say you should not you should give the best user experience because that's where customers will benchmark you yeah. but you should sacrifice user value in terms of what is that what is total offering mm. start with something simple start with something that is simple it works and is hopefully beautiful in fact a lot of times in in the assignments we onboard the the, the ux person very very early mm. even before not because you want to design something but you understand the user sometimes your psyche of your users we were you're, you're building something for a truck driver mm. you have to understand that they are not very well i mean they're not college educated yeah. you have to make things simple for them yeah. that is something as long as you play lasse stefans to them they will be happy i think yeah. that's, that's another <laughs> but, <laughs> but but that way so sacrificing user value is more about sacrificing the non essential yeah. and to focus on give a great experience on what is there mm. What is what's what's truly important? Mm. Cool. And now, uh, uh, yeah, now you agree? Like it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, it's a good point. So, and startups, you know, it's so hard, you know, and and nine or ninety nine percent fail more or less. The, uh, the problem is when startups start thinking like big companies. If yeah. they think like startups, and if they remain humble and if, if they remain lean, mm. I, it's not gonna be. And I I have experience. I mean, I have been very humble coming from Bosch. It was it was mm. very very difficult to justify, yeah. but you have to be fast. Yeah. Uh, so start startups think keep thinking start thinking like big companies. They'll be in trouble. Mm. You have to be fast. What, what, what do you mean by that? That means you start thinking about things that are not really essential to you. I mean, branding. Example. Uh, for example, you don't need to have a very fancy uh, marketing. Uh, 
event for example you don't need to spend on uh, building uh, exclusive let's say a build, build build a product in like five different languages if it is if if it is that if if important you should do it but then you should not do anything that does not really add to a functional value functional utility at least initially aesthetics will come later but the design should be because steve jobs did not just focus on aesthetics steve jobs focused on the design simplicity the overall the way things interplay with connected with each other and that you see in app that is still there in apple they they just fit together seamlessly so that's what i'm saying you don't you, st- you stop thinking like uh, having start having a sales person i think the ceo should uh, should pitch more often oh yeah oh yeah and uh, a lot of start we, a lot of startups we, we are in a startup mode right now with one of the companies and it's super interesting yeah, yeah. a lot of startups say okay we want to hire hire <laughs> a sales guy what for you are supposed to pitch you know the product more than anybody else yeah. Okay. And I like what you said be fast because you know I remember uh, one time in Spotify as well and we were super scared about Apple and Apple has just launched their f- first music service I for, uh, no it, it it actually wasn't the first probably the third or fourth music service because <laughs> yeah they had iTunes and other stuff but they they launched the first like streaming service similar to Spotify at that time and everyone in Spotify was super scared you know and and then you know uh, Daniel Ek who is an awesome CEO who can explain things and also actually is an engineer which is really nice I think. He could say a thing that I I think everyone was really happy to hear and calmed everyone down. Because you know how, how can you compete with Apple, you know, they were they were the the most valuable company in the world at that time. They had so much money and capital that you know no one more than than countries have, you know. How can you even compete with a company like that? But he actually said something you said now which is, you know, being fast. And they said, you know, we can move faster than any company can when it comes to music streaming and i think that's you know what every startup should think about they can move so much faster than any big company ever can yeah mm. as long as they specialize that's in their true. functionality and yes. that is the winning strategy yeah yes right uh, in this uh, so let's uh, finish the, the the topic on uh, monetization by um, uh, so if you would summarize the entire monetization of ai concept in uh, let's say um, eh, five six steps and etc how this would look like all right so the, the the first thing is i'll say start with the business objective start with start with quantifying business value it's it's a great value in quantifying some quantifying value you, you need, if you are able to put that in in, in dollar terms i'm not, not talking about the philosophical like the value of life mm-hmm. but usually That's when you are topic otherwise yeah but when you are kind of uh, evaluating different options or different strategies then you it's possible to quantify them uh, kind of compare them against one one another mm-hmm. quantify the risk as well and then decide what do you need what kind of decisions you you need to make and that decision then become the input for what kind of prediction you need to make and what kind of data you need and what kind of technology you need and, and go backward it's going to give you clarity even if and my experience is even if you're off by 15 20% you still okay because you have clearly written down your assumptions and hypothesis if something goes for a toss any time in between you can always come back and revisit your assumption and you know why did you fail this didn't work we assume this to be like that but it it was not like this it's even if you are lost you will still be able to find your way out that's number one number two you need to have all hands on deck you cannot do it alone you cannot organization cannot build a product with just r&d so you cannot build a build a digital business just with the data team you need to have you need to have all the hands on deck 
Number three, you need to foster the culture of experimentation. You need to have failure tolerance in your organization. If they are, people are not failing fast enough, if, if they're not, not, they're not, they're not taking risks, if they're not experimenting, then very soon you will run out of ideas. And the biggest problem with innovation is people go with what comes in the top of the mind. And everybody does that. So your computer will also be thinking about the same ideas. And it's not, uh, it's not a coincidence that everybody kind of comes up with a more or less similar, similar offering because they go with the top of the first idea that pops into their head, right? You need, if you have culture of experimentation, you will, you will experiment more. You, you, you will ask people to fail more. Fourth, I would say is to start dealing with, uh, data and AI as strategic assets. Don't start thinking as byproduct, but business should start owning them. It's their property. I was very happy to look at the, uh, the data mesh article mm -hmm. because I said, okay, architecture aside, finally, you cannot say anymore. You don't have an excuse. You have to own this distributed data ownership. Now you have to own this. Finally, you cannot make excuse. So they have to own these assets. It's, it's their assets because they are the beneficiaries, right? Final, uh, fifth, I will say is need to invest in building business capabilities, building your uh, business infrastructure. That means you need to have an agile go-to-market. You need to be able to reach to your customers very, very fast. You need to be able to adjust your pricing in a very fast way. Uh, and you need to have the system to enable you that. Uh, many companies, they want to do a service. They don't have a subscription system. They don't have a billing system. They can't uh, meter how much, they can't meter the usage. So start building these things. These systems also take time. And finally, think about commercialization and monetization from the beginning, because again, my experience, it is not possible to plug in a monetization strategy without impacting customer experience. If you are giving something for free and you're not setting the expectation in the, in the mind of the customer that you will charge for it, some point of the time when you start, when you want to start charging for it, customer will have a bad taste in their mouth. So you need to set that expectation right from right from the beginning. What, what do you think uh, about the valuation of like Instagram or Facebook, etc., that basically in the beginning had no commercialization at all or monetization strategy at all, and then still had like multi multi billion of uh, see because they the product in Instagram and Facebook are us, mm -hmm. right? So they will find a way. I mean, the, most of the thing. They, I mean, they started. I mean, if you see you they had something in the back of their mind. So you still have advertisement, you still have uh, those things. I'm, I'm not very familiar with- I think that's the point. Yeah. I mean, they did have, have a commercial, commercialization strategy in the beginning. It's just that people didn't realize it. It's just that- It's a backup. Or, 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 wasn't or they didn't, and the investors no, no, saw no, no, the potential had, how they can turn it. Uh, if you have seen uh, that social network- The price runner. Another yeah. price runner. It was like a trust pilot, I think. It was, uh, which was one of these uh, that recommends the, 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 the flights and et cetera. Expedia? No, the other one. Trustpilot? Uh, uh, Trustpilot. Uh, let's say, uh, so if I'm wrong, uh, please excuse me for that. So th there was this um, uh, uh, huge article about this, uh, about this topic, right? So at the beginning, the, 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 the company goes completely like in minus, right? Mm -hmm. Investor comes in, they bring a revenue manager. The revenue manager in one year basically makes the company fly so they can start generating money. So you don't have to know exactly where it is, but the, maybe the, the potential investor will come. So like, I see the potential here and then uh, they take it from there. If you've right? seen the movie uh, Social Network, uh, then they say that they had advertisement in their mind from the beginning. And Mark says, I know this is, this is to be done, but I will not do it right now. So they actually postponed that strategy. 
to five years later until they had a good enough because for a social media to work you need do, to have enough connections do you connections. think that really they had the strategy or some of the the the, the investor came to them so like where is your money and that's How like would, uh what can we sell here but would you would you invest in something that does not have a have a monetization potential at all you might have some idea it might be low big high you know whatever but you need to have some idea right my, my argument is did i had the idea or the 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 the, co- the company owner had the idea how does it matter it doesn't matter actually yeah it's good um i would uh, was that all yeah yeah good last topic the ai divide in okay. enterprise should okay yes so the the unfortunate situation right now is that uh, we have a we we uh, there are people uh, who uh, the access to data and ability to act, to use data is become the source of political power and which i think is is quite dangerous and the data analyst people who have the analytical insights they are the new elites right and then on the other side of the spectrum you have people who do not have access to data but and and who do not have they don't have the skill to use the data and this is a very very dangerous situation for any organization because eventually what's going to do is it number one is going to divide the organization and number two what we're talking about the citizen development uh, citizen innovation and distributed innovation you cannot have that if 70% or 80% of your uh, employee base is not even engaged in this topic so i think the leader's job or the leader's role is or, or the cdo role is actually in my opinion is to be more of a change manager and to include people inclusion is i think is a very very important topic right now i mean of course you have bias and if you have ethics and you have explainability but i think inclusion is more important because you cannot leave a large majority of people uh behind i mean it's that, interesting because uh, topic, we, we right? have spoken about you know ai divide a number of times before and we usually speak about the global ai divide you know between companies which you know refers to the big tech giants mainly and that are using data and ai to an extent and and then that is extreme and then you have the majority of the rest of the companies that are not using it at all but the same situation as you say exists within companies as well yeah and i i know this because i, I told you when i was doing the business development i spent a lot of time on uh, on actual manufacturing plants and actually yeah. uh, you know retail stores and and warehouses and i've spoken i've spent time with with the people there mm. you won't believe a lot of people have a job of actually doing like this mm. putting a button checking this those people are going to be left out yeah. because they are so used to taking orders mm. they are they become so much of a order takers that they are not really you can, you can you can't teach them accountability in 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 one, in one year you have to actually reach out to them and show them the data ability to uh, many times companies are rating their employees based on certain data data that they are calculating and employees don't understand that data that's a very very dangerous situation so now the t-shirt you know not show me the money you cross over the money and sh- show me the data right that should be yeah, yeah. and, and uh, one of the when you're building one of the product we said the data has to be available especially to people about whom that data is then and then to understand what it means they need to they need to be able to interpret it and because the first iteration when we build the product the data product it was all graphs and it was all medians and modes and those guys are not going to understand that and you are going to rate them on it or you're going to evaluate them on that data i think that's a very dangerous situation that that will get into so what is the solution we solution, we, we, we make people more literate or we have to reach out to people understand how 
kind of uh, where they are on this data okay data data literacy is actually a good term for this uh, kind of yeah, maturity uh, scale uh, we can yeah, say this kind yeah. of uh, okay, this kind of skill set that's cool but but really find out where they are in that scale and then you need to slowly and you know sustainably kind of bring them up into the different so at least they should be able to understand so it's the 90s we are educating people how to use a mouse and a computer yeah, so i guess that is how it is the same thing yeah the same thing we were talking about this actually and i think that this is actually where the most of the efforts in the ai area should go in the next 10 years and that it's is repurposing where? re-education of of not only executives like but we mentioned e- in the beginning everyone. but actually everyone 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 and that's where the total cost of ownership if your total cost of ownership does not include this training effort it will eventually fail because it's those people who will execute your strategy because ai is just the brain it will keep giving you signals who is mm. going to act on it if you're not building the body mm. so you so it's like the matrix i have downloaded how to do kung fu or, or karate but my body is is not prepared for it right how long do you think I, i'm, I'm going to stay in a fight I, mean, i think you know learning people about data and ai can be that done good. in 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 so many ways and and people i think that they have to understand the exact internals of how big ai works or ai model works you don't and you don't. i think you know you can do the analogy with horses and cars and you know if if you imagine you just know about horses and you want to understand the value of having cars then you know you only need to understand you know how you use them yeah. you don't under, under, need to understand how the engine works and i i would argue the same with ai same thing but as long as you understand the value and how you use ai not necessarily how to build it and risks and risk then we are in a good situation then, then we are in a good situation yeah good should we you know i'd love to have you know end in the same way as we yeah. yeah but we're <laughs> basically at you know end of time already but i'd love to end as we started a bit yeah. and speaking a bit about meditation so uh, when you go to to sleep tonight and and you do some meditation i guess yeah will you you know c- can you just elaborate how how would you how do you do practically to get started do you lay down do you sit in some kind of uh, position or how do you get started i when? sit like this yeah. and I put kind of my feet on top of each yeah. other yes it's called sukhasan in if in the, in the yoga terminology okay. yeah. put my hands like this so this is uh, one of the mudras called dhyan mudra yeah. put like this and just relax Yeah. close my eyes uh, focus my attention here which is your and what was your uh, your mantra again or mantra again i can't share my mantra again <laughs> <laughs> i thought you would slip up no, and no, say no. it <laughs> yeah so um uh, kind of put your ad- attention here this is yes. your third eye and yeah. then focus on your breath yeah. first you start with kind of a deep breath so kind yeah. of cleansing breath so you take hard breath and then you kind of Yes. exhale forcefully 3 4 times yeah. kind of cleans it up so you energize your body and then you do the box breathing for 3 4 5 times yeah. unless and box breathing means what is like 6 inhales uh, like 6 second inhale 6 second hold 8 second exhale and 4 second hold mm. so you do that like 4 5 times uh, i'm forgetting it's uh, there's a name for this kind of a breath as well you can you can search that it's called ujjayi uh, okay forget it is just as for box box breath is actually the terminology that the navy uh, the us marines use oh, really? for this uh, t- uh, breathing technology a uh, breathing uh, style yeah. and then you just let go yeah. and just focus on your breath let your breath control your body yeah. uh, sometimes you might experience the body kind of get stuck sometimes because the breath is taking over your body yeah. but after a point of time you'll get more and more relaxed and uh, if you keep 
focus if, uh, if you bring keep bringing your in, in, initially your attention will wander yeah. but you have to keep back keep it bring it back to your breath yeah. and some point of time you will just like this you will just disappear and then you will go into a different zone and then that's what you call the trance or what would you call not it? a trance really but you get into that you kind of touch with that inner peace mm. uh, within you and then you kind of uh, uh, connect with your vibration mm. and then everything else kind of falls apart it just it just melts away and then you just be there some people see some things uh, you might see like some light or you might mm. see some sound some might some people might even experience some fragrance uh, happens depends you know what's your what's your uh, kind of uh, whether you are a audio or a visual or kinesthetic person mm. so when 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 the mind let goes mm. then your attention kind of goes in those areas because what happens is every we are so trained to attention awareness moves in very fixed neural uh, ways yeah. when you relax like this the attention keeps going in different other area which have not been explored mm-hmm. so you get a lot of literal kind of thinking innovation sometimes it can also trigger some emotional reaction but that's okay it's going to pass away it's going yeah. to fade away I, mean, i can just you know i haven't done it as long as you had but at least for a couple of years and um, i know a lot of people like your rogan does it uh, as well regularly these days and uh, it, it you know everyone has different needs and do it in different ways yeah. but if you are able to do it right can be really beneficial but one one disclaimer i am not a master so uh, i mean you only be doing it for 40 years or something or no 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 i mean i'm i'm not a master so it, it's i mean don't kind of just do it just go with what's what's comfortable it's better yeah. if you get if you get a training because then you get to do it in the right way but just don't force your breath yes awesome cool um so mel What's going on next in your life? Personally, professionally, what's happening? Yes. Uh so my first and foremost kind of target is to right now create more awareness which I'm trying to do with uh, different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh in social media in a lot of times uh I also kind of companies invite me to have like a talk on monetization have mm-hmm. something like this. Yeah. So first step is to create awareness. about monetization understand why it is important why it is so urgently important right and uh, yeah in the uh, what i see a big gap right now in the industry is that we still don't have so many tools mm. for monetization you have different tools but they kind of kind of don't come together and uh, that's where i would like to kind of uh, invest my time and effort And if someone hears this and want to get in touch with you where can they find you uh, they can find me on uh, linkedin uh just just send me a connection request and i will accept and then we can we can talk mm. what i'm looking for actually uh, since my background is more manufacturing uh, mm. and more automotive i'm actually looking to collaborate with people so that we can take some of these uh techniques and also apply to other industries i mean into right. to, to to retail to healthcare and that would be very very interesting we do have a community right now going uh, as a part of airpen alliance and we kind of meet every two months mm. discuss and create some of the assets there so people are also most welcome to join us there awesome. and yeah thank cool. you thank you so much this was an i think i kind of lost track of time a long time <laughs> ago <laughs> cool and last question then who else would you like to hear on this podcast who else would i like to hear i would like to except he- hendrik hendrik is not a, he probably <laughs> no no i i would actually like to hear people uh, leaders uh, who are uh pr- who are talking uh, who are actually in in, the, in this commercial space uh who are actually l- leading from the front so uh, last month uh, two months ago we had the pleasure of having ellen from tilia yeah 
and i think she has some fantastic insights and uh, i think she and the, the best part is uh, you know what henrik calls uh, having the blood on the shirt kind of so she has done it been there done it and i think it will be very interesting uh, to have her review on how to really create value yeah i uh, i will get the uh, add in yeah 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 i have yes. some interesting stories with um, <laughs> yes yeah we can take that if at that time yes um cool uh, that's a great uh, suggestion i think Cool, Samuel. It was a true pleasure um, to have you here, and um, now it's time to do the after after work. And yeah. I, I will ask a lot more about meditation and, yeah. and your thoughts about that, yep. and hopefully learn more about that and monetization and so many more things. Thanks meditation, again. Meditation, monetization, you know, <laughs> same thing. Not a big difference. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again. Have a happy Easter, everyone, and uh, a pleasant evening. Thank you so much. Wish I wish everyone a happy Easter. Uh, great vacations and uh, thank you so much.